Great Expectations is part of the Earth 2 network of podcasts. Hey, this is Sean. This is Jerry. And this is a, another episode of the Great Expectations Podcast. Let's and say episode 28. Episode 28 yeah. of the Great Expectations Podcast. And we are joined by everyone's favorite guest, if you don't count Baron Strucker, <laughs> Alan White. You'd better not count Baron Strucker. He's evil. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're at the top spot. He's number two. Oh, he's number two. All he's right. the Zemo. <laughs> <laughs> he's the Zemo. No, he's the Zima of Barons. <laughs> he's the fizzy drink of all. Barons. He is. He is. He's definitely a malt liquor, and I'm not talking Colt 45. He's a Zima. So, Alan, Mister New Mutant, sir. This is your first time back on the show since way back in episode we don't remember what. Have you enjoyed becoming the uh, Where's Waldo of our artwork? <laughs> I actually, yes, <laughs> I, I like it very much, and uh, I find it so well placed every single time. So kudos <laughs> to the producer. That'd be that'd be that would be the evil Baron who does that. God damn it! Oh. <laughs> you have to give him so much credit for stuff I don't want to give him. For all his evilness, uh, we do love him. Insidious. Insidious. <laughs> Even though he usually paints, paints me in an uh, unflattering way, I do, I do love that art. He's true to life, man. I'm not what you would call an attractive man. <laughs> Well, that's that's because you keep making those faces every time somebody Can't takes it. a picture. That's my natural. That's look. his defense mechanism. It is. He's like, I'm gonna make a stupid face before you can call my real face stupid. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not fair. You're not giving yourself a chance, buddy. I've seen your face unaltered. I think. Yeah, you've seen me in person a couple times now. Yeah. Not enough. Right. Distance. Damn the miles. Damn them. We are only what? For oh, six months away from C2E2. Wow. Whoa. You gonna make it this year? Yep. Alright, Sean. Just looking like I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to put you on blast if you don't. Yep. <laughs> Calling the shot now. Sean will be with me at C2E2 this year. Tabling an artist alley. No, that won't happen. But we will be there. If they if they let the likes of Ryan Stegman in, they'd let us have a table. Yeah. Well, you can be Stegman's booth babes. No, thanks. No, he'll have his real booth babe with him, I'm sure. Have you noticed how much the uh, 
artist type can score the hot ladies. No. Walk through Artist Alley. I have not. They they do very well in that area. I don't objectify women in that way. Sure <laughs> you don't. So there. <laughs> I'm respectful Sean. of all types that go to conventions, Jerry. Sean doesn't notice because he always manages to find the hot ladies himself. And I don't want to imply that I haven't. Hey oh. But uh <laughs> Jerry's doing alright for himself. Jerry's 40 and he's having a midlife crisis. Is he? I think so. I just bought a new car. Oh. I think that's the first sign. But it wasn't like Is a it sports red? car. It's not red. It's not a sports car. It's, it's a Ford. It's a mid-sized sedan. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry's having a mid-sized <laughs> midlife crisis. <laughs> yeah. This is Come what on. the whitest man in America does when he has a <laughs> He buys a sensible mid-sized sedan. It's all wheel drive. You should wait until you're, you should wait until you're 50 so that you could live longer. Because if you have a midlife crisis at 50, then you're gonna be 100, right? Oh my god, I'll be a mess if I Jerry's reach 100. Jerry's gonna OD on cough syrup. Yes. Then we'll have a behind the music episode of Great Expectations. His wife's gonna find him at a sleazy motel reading comics. <laughs> by himself. Sticky pages. I just needed oh, some time so with my sticky. comics crush. Like this one, for instance, I'm sure. Well, no, the the next one. She's, she's far this too one, this one is yes. This issue, yes. Oh, this one too. Yeah, that's right. This is her issue. This is the Kitty Pride issue for me. Not Kitty Pride, you old pervert. I'm talking. About I will. I was. Storm. How old was I when I read this? Eleven. Oh, okay then. But not now. Not she now. Like, she was like the hot older woman for me. Storm. You talking about Storm? I have always been talking about Storm. You are now talking about Katie Pride, who is 13 and a half still. Well, this whole show is about going back to when these stories were special to us. I can't think about this now. I gotta think about it. Through the filtered eyes of an 11 year old redheaded bastard. <laughs> My parents were married <laughs> at the time. So there. So there. Bill Cosby. We're not allowed to talk about Bill Cosby right now. He's the controversial. Boy. He's got some hot water brewing. Uh, I don't think Jerry knows the controversy. He seems to be a big Cosby fan right now. Nothing you can do or say would surprise me. <laughs> oh yeah? Are you? Do you want? Do you want to give it a go? Yeah, tell me. He raped a woman. Oh no, I can't get behind that. <laughs> he did not. He's been accused over the years of multiple routine and... He's supposed to be our moral compass, you guys. Yep. God damn it. Tony Danza's all that's left. (laughs) Oh, oh, yes. (laughs) Italian boxer is what we've got left. What the hell? That was the first name that popped into my head. It certainly can't be Professor Xavier because Professor Xavier is a jerk. There you go. Yes, he is. <laughs> All right, there. We did it. Segway. We did it. In under 30 minutes, we're there. Guys, we've dragged Alan back because when we last talked to him, we knew we that were he was... most popular, so we needed him back. <laughs> you couldn't keep me away. It was, it was well known to us that the Paul Smith run of X-Men was Alan's jam. Is that fair to say? It is so fair. It is extremely fair to say, yes. So I was looking forward to this 
just from that perspective, getting Alan back on the show, having a good reason to bring him back, getting to talk to him again. And then I reread these issues and I was like, the whole time I should have been more excited about reading these goddamn issues because this to me is the X-Men. Right, right, right. Because again, like if it's not a, if it's not a baseball game, it's that downtime. It's those downtime scenes in the mansion that just has formed such an identity for the X-Men as far as I'm concerned. Yep, you're correct. And and we should say that this is really um when Paul Smith is kind of taking over the reins officially. He's before he was kind of finishing up um Cockrum's run. And he did so in spectacular fashion. But this is kind of like a fresh start for him. This is these are my stories that I'm telling now. And you can I feel like you see some of the ownership here. Yeah. Right away. Right from the first page of issue 168 of Uncanny X-Men. X-Men! Iconic. Do you hear me? Iconic. For those who aren't familiar with issue 168 by name, this is the Professor Xavier is a jerk issue. And Kitty Prime means it. She does. She's having a meltdown right now because... Previously on X-Men. <laughs> I don't remember what happened. The X-Men went to space, the fought the brood, out. they came back. What happened in 167? Well, there was, wasn't there, didn't, um, they start, didn't, um, Xavier turn into a thing and yep. tried to eat, eat the new mutants? Yeah, it's a lot he of did. brood stuff going on. He did it, so much brood stuff. It was, it was re, it was revealed that the new mutants were actually recruited by some subconscious desire in the brood queen egg in in uh, mm-hmm. Xavier to have new meat. That's right. This is why Jerry and I need to win the lotto so that we can quit our jobs and do this show every day. Yeah. Because when there's a two and a half, three week break between reading the issues, shit gets foggy. It does. <laughs> but yeah, so basically between now and between where we are now and our last show that, or what happened in our last show, I guess, New Mutant showed up. Professor X founded that little team. Yep. Of, uh, ex-babies, as Kitty Pride likes to call them. <laughs> and, uh, and then they, they finalized the brood story, killed that new brood queen that was on the earth. And that's the end of any aliens that would be on the earth trying to mess with the X-Men, right? Right. That, that's it. They're all gone? Probably not. We'll find out. At the end of that story, Kitty Pride was demoted to the ex-babies. Or the New Mutants. And she's not real happy about it. And she declares at the beginning of this issue that Professor Xavier is a jerk. And, she and it's clear it. to anyone who, it, who who lives with the man would know that that's true. So should we start um, counting the number of tantrums that Kitty has? <laughs> <laughs> See, and I knew everyone would focus on the tantrum aspect of Kitty here. But I want to point out that on that very page as she's ranting and throwing a big tantrum to Ileana... And she's like, oh, it isn't fair that I'm in, been demoted to the New Mutants. And then Ileana hits her with the, and don't tell me what is or isn't fair. You didn't spend half your life in a demonic limbo. And I just, when I read that, I was like, fuck off. 
<laughs> like, because all of a sudden Ileana was that friend. So it's like, you're having a bad day, and they're like, you think you've got it bad? Listen to all the bullshit that happened to me. First world problems. Right? <laughs> demonic limbo. You could have left. You let go. <laughs> she didn't let go, Sean. Victim shaming. Oh, oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> I can't even right now. Oh, you are going to be a meme on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> but I will. I, but you're right about Ileana's personality, though. Ileana, this is the earliest that I remember her being that that kind of a girl. Because she's still that kind of a girl. She's always, now, in the current comics, she's always standing to the side and kind of got her eye cut to the side. Right. And she's got something something smart-ass and cryptic to say. She's yeah. got the old RBF going. She does. But I, I admire the fact that she just doesn't take any bullshit. Like, I... I I see what you're saying, Sean, and I identify that immediately, and it would have, it would bug the shit out of me too. In fact, I just yelled at somebody on Twitter for that <laughs> because I complained about something, and they're like, "Oh, you've got it so tough," and I was like, "Shut up!" <laughs> but um, but on the other gonna, hand, she's gonna do that for the rest of eternity. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> fuck man, I'm sorry. She is Stevie Huntering the shit out of it. Oh my knee. I used to dance, okay? And then my knee. You don't understand. But, uh, I mean, okay, so I think the whole point of this is just to establish that Ileana is like the Jiminy Cricket. I, Kitty Pride's I emotional that. teenage deal. And, I mean, I'm sure it's not hard to imagine I was a lot like Kitty Pride as a teenager. Like, that Irish temper <laughs> ran hot. I don't know if Kitty is Irish. Is she? Sure. Irish Jewish? There are Jews in Ireland, but she is not one of them. No. You know what's weird? Uh, looking at these pages early on in the issue, how freakishly like Ellen Page she is drawn. Dude, you don't even understand when I'm telling you that Paul Smith has got, got, has got it for me. It's, just take a look. Viewers at home, listeners at home, grab yourself at the very first opportunity one of these issues so that you can see for yourself the pristine lines and composure that Paul Smith brings to the page. I, I have been trying to draw like this ever since. Just his – the proportions and the simple lines, but then it – like Ilana at the side there with the, with the big head full of uh, bangs. Yeah. And then the nose, lips, chin. It's so simple, but it really, it, it seems like it's 3D, even though it's 2D. It's just such a good line. Yeah, Sean and, and I were just talking about this right before we called you up. And he was mentioning, do we even want to talk about who we were talking about? Yeah, that's fine. I don't mind. Go, well, go ahead. I, I was, um, I was just talking about the fact that like, um, there's a page coming up, I think, in this issue or the next issue where, like, Sebastian Shaw goes into his office and he's, there's a chair just in the panel, a desk and a chair, and it's super detailed, down to the point where you can see, like, the rings in the wood from the tree that was cut to make the damn chair. <laughs> and then, uh, before I started reading that issue the other night, I wanted to read Axis number five before any fuckhead on the internet could spoil it for me. That's what, that's what Wednesday is. Wednesday Church. is a fucking, like, I gotta 
stay super busy during the day so nobody can spoil it for me, and then I gotta rush to the comic book store, and then I gotta fucking rush home before some dickhead can be like, hey! Hey, before you go on, I've cut ties with some people that I really enjoyed being friends with on Twitter because they couldn't stop doing that. So, I mean... caps and everything. Yes! I like the pictures the because I don't care. I have no patience for that shit, man. And I hate how everybody's meter is like. Well, this isn't technically a spoil. It's like I don't give a fuck what you think. Just let me see it. Let me experience it for the first time on my own schedule. Why is it so hard for people to get that? I know. Why is that so hard? I feel bad. Like I don't want to. I'm not telling you don't post it. I'm just telling you I can't follow you on Twitter if you're going to post it. Right? Do you boo? Because I'm not following you. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Because. You know, I I don't want to. That's wanna... very diplomatic of Jerry. I think you're a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get there. There was a time a year ago where we were really enthusiastic every Wednesday when the new books came out. You know, and we wanted to talk about them. And my time schedule has just changed. I can't I can't read it that Wednesday anymore. But I still want to have that experience where it's fresh. Yes. You know, and, and these guys that are still on that, I got nothing else to do but read comic schedule, can't have it. And, and, you know, and then that, so that's comics. And now tell, tell, talk to me about the television shows. Right. I mean, who all is sitting at the television show? Isn't that what we have DVRs for and Roku and all these things? Not everybody yes. can re- look at them live. But no, you're looking at it live, and so it becomes your sacred mission to describe <laughs> every single scene in a second after it's happened and maybe a screenshot if we're lucky. Thank you. Unfollowed. Goodbye. And how can you possibly enjoy something if you spend the entire fucking time live tweeting it? <laughs> You. Like, you want to watch reruns of a show from six years ago and live tweet it? No one gives a shit. No one cares. <laughs> you want to live tweet a show that's actually on? You're missing half of it because you're like, look at how fucking swell I am. No one cares. So between the three of us, we have to figure out what Twitter is really for. Is it just puppy pictures? Probably. Can it really Cat, just be that? Cats and kittens. Yeah. And to talk to uh Sean. Yes. Because how else am I? How else? Because I don't go to conventions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's going to change. Yep. And then I'm going to get rid of Twitter. No! <laughs> oh, no. No. Says the one guy who cares. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, um, so I read Axis number five, and one of the things that really pissed me off was in every panel that Spider Man appeared in, spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, it's gonna be at least a week okay. before anyone hears um, this. Basically every panel he appeared in that wasn't like a straight up super up close headshot, but there were even some actually like he's, it's not like he's a little tiny guy in the panel, he's a big guy in the panel. They would refuse to draw the webs. <gasps> Dude. Right? You, Isn't that lazy? You know what? I only became aware of that through uh, my buddy Andrew Shaw's tweets. He totally pointed that out. Yeah, it's obnoxious. Like, what are you getting? Like, doesn't that? I mean, you as a man who's fucking slaving away working on the power principle, right? I am. I and, have. And you would draw the webs, right? If you yes. had a chance to draw Spider-Man, would you not draw every fucking web, every <laughs> web? <laughs> yeah, I would try. See, <laughs> and if and if the deadline was tomorrow, I don't. 
Yes, yes, I would, I would, I would. I'd stay up all night. I would. You get a neighbor over there. And you'd be like, all you got to do is go like this, this, this. You're done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what they used to do in the old days, man. That's what the bullpen was for. Just to sit there and knock out the webs to meet the deadline. Yeah. Oh, I miss. Very easy to be distracted, I bet. But the problem is, is I don't know enough about how comic books are made that uh, I don't know if I'm ever bitching about the wrong person. Well, I think in this case that's justified. Okay. I mean, do we gotta burn it all down over it? Maybe not. But uh, it's not like this is an issue where. He couldn't get the pencils to the inker in time to get it done because the inker's in the same fucking house. I guess the other thing that hit me too, <laughs> I've like, had two beers. I'm sorry. It was <laughs> take it back. <laughs> take it back. But for the record, I love those guys. Uh, yeah, and their I, art's I was, great. I, but that's a shortcut you shouldn't be taking. It was just yeah. It was a, and it was like a glaring shortcut. Yes. You know. Yeah. Um, and well, I think that the other thing too. Bother you alone. You should know that you weren't alone with that. It's always nice to know yeah. that I'm not alone. Well, one You're of the best alone. people on planet Earth agreed with you. Yeah. Because the other thing. Who too, is this like, person? Because I want to follow them. His name is Andrew Shaw. At Andrew. Oh, oh shit, Andrew Shaw. Twenty-three. That is not the name I heard the first time. Yeah. I follow Andrew already. He Are is. You a call good him guy. some type of pet name. Um, no. <laughs> I don't. But he has some. He just didn't use one of them. I got nicknames for all you guys. I don't have one for Andrew Shaw. My buddy. Yeah. That might be the first Andrew Shaw shout-out on this show. And that's should, unfortunate because I love that dude. He should be on. He should be on. You should get him on. But except I don't think he reads X-Men, so I guess he's not perfect. I don't think he does, oh, man. well, unfollowed. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Andrew, we're calling you out. You got to read some X-Men. Not every Australian is perfect, you guys. It's just the way it is. They may look like it on TV. Yeah. He comes from the land of the perfect Wolverine. In... <laughs> yeah. Pride of the X-Men. And he doesn't like the X-Men. <laughs> oh my god, it's so unfortunate. <laughs> uh <clears throat> Should we get back to this issue? We probably- yes, indeed. Um, lost time there. Jerk. I have no idea how much time went by. But you do not edit out the C word. <laughs> no, no. I stick by it. Um, the C word is commit. L.A. Rabbit is probably going to want to take his headphones off right now. <laughs> no edits! <laughs> uh, so, while Kitty and Ileana are having this exchange... Where Eliana is basically like, just calm the fuck down, okay? Life's not so bad. The new mutants aren't so bad. You're not so bad. And I'm not so bad. Everybody's okay. 11-year-old Jerry at that moment was like, hey, kitty, let's go make out. Why don't you just that's lean in and make imagine, out with each other? That's what you imagine happening between this panel and the next panel. That's the great yeah. thing about comics. Panel to panel, you can make up what goes on in between. You can. And if I could draw... So fuck oh. your movies, Marvel. Yeah. Let's take it back to the comics. Comics! You love the movies. You know what? I know I do. And I do too. I can't. I'm starting to turn. I Don't do it. Don't do it, buddy. Whoa. Guardians of the Galaxy is the one that pushed me over the edge. Oh my god. You love that movie. I do. I do. But you know what I don't love about that movie? Not Six movie. fucking Guardians titles. 
every time that they're drawn, they're drawn like the movie parts. I don't want my comic book characters to look like Chris Pratt. I want Chris Pratt to look like my fucking comic book character. There we go. Boom! Yeah. Take that. Taken. Yeah. You know, Taken I, gladly. That's always been my position, but um, from an economic standpoint. God damn it. From I don't care about being getting more re- getting more readers. Like, I I can understand them doing New that. Mutants been there since 1981. Where's his respect? I know, I know. Well, I mean, that's why I'm not buying comics anymore. Oh, because that's things. PCT. We can we can bitch. All about what it means to me about the the state of comics and complain and write letters. But the dollar is what talks. And they're not getting my money anymore. Yeah, let's burn them I mean, the they're, they're not writing for me. They're writing for somebody else. Let them buy I'm products. coming your way, 6th Avenue. I'm going to burn that building to the fucking ground. That is, I would say <laughs> that's, that's hollow ground, but it's not. They've moved too many times. It doesn't matter anymore. And pretty soon they'll be in San Francisco. That's my prediction. I, uh, no. I went to the Marvel building the last time I was in New York, and I went into the lobby, and I got yelled at by the doorman guy, like the guy at the front desk, because I was taking a picture of the sign that said Marvel Entertainment, and then I ran out. Yeah. But pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that Jen Grunwald, uh, one of the editors, was having a cigarette outside the building, because she was like, kind of laughing at the fact that I was getting my picture taken in front of the building. Like, so I think she could tell that like, oh, look at that comic book nerd. Yes. As opposed to her? Well, I think she was, I don't think she was laughing in like a mean way. I think it was like a, like a, hey, that's nice to see that someone's that excited to be outside of this building. Jerry has gotten up. He is uh, slowly (laughs) removing his pants and opening his third beer. Oh. Yeah. No, I did love, I loved the Guardians movie, but I, it's weird to see how quickly like the focus, like, oh, it was, it's weird to watch like the, everybody was nervous that it wasn't going to be a hit, that it was a huge hit, and now it's like TV shows, lunchboxes, fucking, you know, it's crazy. Yep. It's crazy. Well, this is your first experience with that, where you were like, I was there on the ground floor, right? and now all these noobs are I showing up. I had to up. deal with that. <laughs> of the movie. No, I'm telling you. couldn't relate to that before. It's that fucking bank teller. Because I was at the bank probably two or three years ago, and I had a Rocket Raccoon shirt on. And the bank teller, she looks at me and she goes, "What's a Rocket Raccoon?" I was like, "Oh, it's a it's a Marvel comic book character." I was like, "You know, like the Avengers, like it's just like it's another Marvel comic book character." And she looks at me, "Fucking, I'm I'm just trying to go to the bank. I'm just trying to pay my fucking mortgage, right?" Yeah. Oh, good man. So you're like. You're like a nerd, huh? And I was like, no, she didn't. Did she really say that to you? It's Asian too, so it took everything I had not to be like, so you're like good at karate, right? (laughs) You mean, (laughs) 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 that's where it goes. That's staying in. So (laughs) then the biggest fucking insult she could, she's like, and she's like, so you go to Comic-Con? And I was like, I've, I've been to a comic convention. I've been to quite a few comic conventions, actually, yes. And she was like, so, oh, my God, you're like Sheldon Cooper. <laughs> what is she doing? Fucking she, murder someone. Does she just not want to work there anymore? Is that what's going on? I don't know. Maybe she was in love with you. But I was like, a and year from didn't... now, you're going to be the biggest fan of this fucking raccoon. And guess what? Everyone on the planet is, so all I think about is that damn bag teller. 
I'm mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Is she there? Yeah. Is she there now? I Go no- back with your record, <laughs> Rocket Raccoon shirt on and say, how you like me now? She'd just call me a poser. She'd be like, I've loved that movie since the first day it came out. Yeah. Well, You're just a bandwagon jumper. That's right. So that means that she's got, bad, she got yeah. bad long-term memory then. Is that what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Sean always gives me shit about that with Iron Fist. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry always likes to announce to people that he bought Iron Fist when Matt Fraction and Edward Baker were writing it as it was coming out, and I'm just like, bullshit, no one did. I do not. You're the but guy. But I did. Listen, when Nirvana played the blind pig back in the early 90s, which can only fit like 189 people in that Oh, club, I was there. You're one of the 9,000 people no. that have told me you were there. No, I never saw Nirvana. I didn't. <laughs> All right, you ready for this? No, don't tell me. Dun, dun, dun. I gotta oh, no. tell you, I didn't like Nirvana. Oh my god! god. <laughs> <laughs> Are you lying? Sean is too busy choking the life out of Jerry at the moment. We will return. We will return to your regularly scheduled programming after Sean has. <laughs> I I learned. I learned. Fucker's got the entire Indigo Girls collection. He, he walked over there to see what was on my show before he came back. <laughs> That's that liberal arts college shit. Oh. Uh, those are Melissa's. So, so she over and was a lesbian? It was really hot. <laughs> oh. oh, we're dead. Oh, my this, God. This is the last episode uh, of the Great Expectations podcast. Professor, <laughs> Professor Pigeon is a jerk. <laughs> okay, 51 minutes in, we've talked X-Men exactly 3.1 minutes. No edit! No edit! <laughs> when you mentioned Jack Grunewald, I grabbed the Squadron Supreme uh, collection, the first print of the collection. Fucker hates which, Nirvana, but he's got the first first print collection of the Squadron it's Supreme. It's got fucking Mark Grunewald's ashes in the ink! You know, Whoa. That is some, that's something right there, for real. Well, Kurt was talking about it on Twitter with some other guys, and I can't remember who else. I'm going to guess it was dude Matt Nixon. I can't remember. Post show. Let's rip out the pages and smoke them. Yeah. I want him inside me. (laughs) So I was like, why don't I have that in my collection? And I ran out and grabbed it. But I hadn't told you that yet. So bam. I think it was just the first printing, though. Just the first printing, right? It has to be. How many ashes are there? So many ashes. You can't do it every single printing. Stomach with Gene's blood in it? I don't. Which, that's a, that is not true, right? Oh, I don't know. Didn't they use the wrong ink or something like that for Who that knows? one? I think there's a story there. <sighs> Man, but I do have that issue. I'm loving this episode so far. This is this is awesome. You're welcome. <laughs> so much expert. You bring out the best in us, Andy. I don't think that'll be the reflection. <laughs> you bring that guy on look what he did to the whole show i'm here for the x-men and what are we talking about nirvana just have to get through five issues in the next hour no problem we got it so uh the while this little kitty and iliana conversation was going down on page two the first <laughs> right um there was a mysterious purple-eyed, purpled-skinned, fanged thing watching from an upper-story window. Just checking it out. And anyone who's read the end of the Brood Saga knows probably who this is right away. It's Lockheed. 
on the planet Earth unexpectedly. It's true. And um, the hunting and weather here have been poor, and he's decided that's about to change. And then, bam, next panel. Wolverine's got a backpack on, and he is out, ladies and gentlemen. He is heading to the Canadian Rockies. He needs some time to himself. He's tired of being around all these people. He wants to commune with nature, bang some wolves, whatever it is he does. Look at how cool, like, look at how good Nightcrawler looks in that last panel. Exactly. He's dapper. That is cool. He's rocking the purple turtleneck, rib turtleneck, for her pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Amanda Sefton's pleasure. (laughs) And we get to see that a couple of times coming up. What's that? We'll, We'll get to see that coming up. Yes, we will. Oh my God! Yes, we will. As I was reading the conversation of this too, like I, th- I kind of just I I hate it when people mention the whole like Chris Claremont's too wordy thing because like when I read this in like in, in the same afternoon of reading this and Axis and and mind you, I am actually enjoying that series. Like I'm not really I'm not trying to be super critical of it it just so mm-hmm. happens that I read this at the same time that I read that and it was like this feels like a story to me yeah like this reading this issue feels the same way I would feel after like watching you know an hour of a television show like where I'm like oh that was a good you know like did I get why can I hear <laughs> Alan are you still there I'm here I'm hearing you oh. I'm hearing both of you. I panicked because maybe when I got pissed off about the Nirvana thing that I like ripped a cord out or something because it was really quiet. But you were just being respectful, which I appreciate. Well, what happens is that I slip into listener mode, and it's like I'm listening to the show. And I do that. Sometimes I forget that I'm actually here. Yes, questions. That's what happened. Like, oh, this is a really good podcast. Oh, I'm on this podcast. (laughs) I can contribute now. I should say something. I don't mean I have something specific to say. I mean that's the that's the uh, the theory that yeah, since I'm okay, here, yes, I can... the flare to alert listeners that I'm still alive. <laughs> as Jerry, Despite my best as, efforts, as Jerry panics and sweats profusely during a Brett Anderson interview, and I just sit there like, "Wow, he's telling a really good story." I'm just gonna sit over here and be quiet. Oh my god, I threw up in my mouth at least three times. Oh, Jerry was really nervous for those. Well, that. He earned that nervousness, though. I mean, that's Brent Anderson. But before the Brent Anderson interview, I slept like a baby, right? Because I was like, whatever. <laughs> but New Mutant, I was like, holy shit, tomorrow's Christmas. Oh, aren't you nice? <laughs> I-, I mean, I don't know what it is, Alan, but you show up, and it just seems to bring out the joy in us. And it's a tis the season. It's true. It Honestly, I think it's because... There's that. So many things have happened between the last time I was just, here. Just but, like um, the, the conversation just, between... We know that you love this shit. So, like, we put our guard down when you show well, up. keep them down, then. Keep them down. So when are you going to talk to me about... When am I? When are you going to start talking about uh, Wolfie's hair, as, as done by Paul Smith, and his eyebrows that are right at the top of his eyes that gives him that grizzled look? And his nose... What about that nose, that hook nose? Can we just, let's just talk about Wolverine, man. Yes, Sean's got opinions about him. And a lot of other people have, I mean, there's just something about this Paul Smith's Wolverine that people talk about. I don't know, like you, you have an opinion about it, Sean. Like you call him the first 
handsome Wolverine. Yep. But I've I've heard other people talk about that broken nose and how rugged he looks. And he's both. He's like the Marlboro man. But that's of, I think what I'm Marvel saying. Marvel comics. Like me calling him handsome is just me not having a good like listen everybody. It's time for some real talk. I don't study art. I don't <laughs> Fucking blow artists. Like, I, I'm just like, oh, it looks good. You don't like, know what you're missing. <laughs> I walked myself right into that room. <laughs> New Mutant's like, I'm an artist. <laughs> Holla at your boy. <laughs> I think the, 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 the reason why I find him the most handsome wolverine if you will is because of what you talked about with like paul smith's lines yeah because i'd even say the same thing about like the like the last nightcrawler panel that yeah. i was talking about yeah. whoa look at that errol flynn looking motherfucker yeah oh i completely agree i think he can be both like, i think he's like a man's simplicity man. right because i grew up in an era of fucking gritted teeth a million teeth cross hatching everywhere yeah that, like, thousand lines see, on the yes, face that makes him look a hundred yeah. years old Absolutely. Yeah. So when I look at that Wolverine, I'm like, that's where they got Hugh Jackman from. Yeah. And yeah, I swear to God, they cast those movies from these pages. Yeah. And I'm not mad. I ain't mad either. No. Hugh Jackman was a home run. Yep. God. Who? I mean, <laughs> who knew? Thank 14 Christ years that ago. Duggery Scott fucking injured his groin on Mission Impossible. <laughs> Up top. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't have been the same. Nope. And and it wouldn't the franchise wouldn't have grown like it has. I hope they're paying Hugh Jackman a boatload of money. Don't worry, he's doing all right. Yeah. Uh, so uh so he is off. He's taken off. We will not see him in the pages of the Uncanny X-Men in the rest of this episode, but he will be back in our next episode Well, we got some shit to talk about. Nope. Make that two episodes from now, people. Well, you're not even going to hear about Uncanny X-Men at all in the next episode. Yep. There go our numbers. Um, <laughs> but he's an, gone. It's going to be an hour long of me explaining Nirvana to Jerry. <laughs> Simadonna. Simadonna. So, uh, but we do get to talk about Professor X, who's still struggling with his newly found ability to walk. And he cannot seem to adjust to it. And he and Lalandra express their undying love for each other and his inability to walk. He needs her, but she needs him in Shi'ar space to help her reclaim the throne from Deathbird. And they basically realize that they're probably not going to be able to be together. This seems to be like a thing for Claremont, like having two people fall intensely in love, but not be able to be together. Because he understands the the thing with TV shows, where the second that Ross and Rachel get together, that show's over. Yeah. Hmm. He's a master of keeping them apart. He might be right. Maybe there's something deeper to that we should ask him about. His own situation? Hmm. I heard him didn't... Did he? Where did I hear him? He did a bumper for somebody's show. Oh, two-headed nerd, I think. Ooh. Maybe. I don't know. I listened to so many. And he said, "And I'm available." He did a bumper for somebody. I was ragingly jealous. 
Like, how'd you yeah. get him to talk to you? If we have Chris Claremont on the show, I guarantee you, wonderful listeners, that Jerry will fucking have a heart attack and die the night before the episode. Well, yes. I'll have, I'll have a Chris Claremont story for you when we get there. All right. Everybody's got one except me. Oh. No, you've never met him? I met him. Oh, I just okay. don't really have a story. Oh. You've got your he hit on your girlfriend story. Alan sounds like he's got a story. I do. All right. It's real. Getting back to the X-Men. Charles can't stand oh. because he's a jerk. <laughs> Kitty is busting a move in the studio of Stevie <laughs> Hunt. Yes, she is. She's trying to anyway. She's a maniac, uh, David maniac for your love. <laughs> she is rocking the leg warmers. In an appropriate use of leg warmers here. She's in a dance studio. And uh she's not doing so great. Stevie Hunter is not real happy about it. You yeah. can do better, Kitty. And Stevie's all, you don't understand. And Stevie's all, I don't have time for this, Kitty. I'm a grown woman with real responsibilities. Somebody else who won't listen to Kitty. But she basically says, look, if you really want to be on the X-Men, just go ask him and make him let you on the X-Men. He's not an unreasonable man, she says. That's yeah. right. And she finally stops pouting and she says, all right, I'll do it. Meanwhile, in the snow outside. This this page was written specifically for Jerry McDade. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Storm has wandered out into the snow, wearing just a white fur coat. No. Oh, and her headdress. I'm going to say that's a Terry bathrobe. You think so? I'm not going to give her a a white fur coat. There's only one person who walks around with a white fur coat, and I'm not ready. Oh, you better be ready, because she's showing up real soon. Oh, my God. When Uh, I got to the page where she showed up, I was so excited (laughs) just because you were going to be here. Yes. Yes, but she is, in fact. The air is bitter cold. Her only protection, a white fur cloak. God damn it. But she doesn't seem to mind because she's impervious to the elements, right? Wrong. She's cold as fuck out there, people. <laughs> Something is going on with Storm. Since she got back from outer space and was reborn, she's not the same person she used to be. And she's basically thinking about what's going on with her. There's a sudden gust of wind. And snow and lightning, and she's like, well, where did that come from? I didn't ask for that. She's losing control of her patience and her ability to control the weather. And she's kind of questioning who she is. And, like, is she Storm or is she Aurora? She, I don't know how many times she mentions that, but it's a lot. Yeah, she, this character development, ladies and gentlemen, this, this is how you do it. Take it. I gotta ask you guys, I feel like, from issue 160 to 220 is is my era of the X-Men where I feel like I know that backwards and forwards. I don't remember this going anywhere. Does this really go anywhere or is it sh- um, derailed by the whole life death story? What, her, her, this right here, this character development right here? Yeah. Like, is it leading up to something or is it just preparing a... Preparing us for the fact that she's going to go through some very real changes when I, she I, loses. I, yeah, I always thought that this was kind of like a mental thing leading up to her. <laughs> fucking Mohawk Storm taking down the Morlocks, all that shit. If we ever talk to Claremont, I want to know 
was there a plan in place other than Forge coming along and falling in love with her and fucking up her world? Like, was she was she about to leave the X Men? Was she about to die? Was she gonna become something else? I can't figure it out, man. It seems like they're laying a path. This has got to be one of those unfinished threads that people talk about and complain about. I don't the know. unfinished threads make me sad. <laughs> Maybe they'll come back to because it's it's like <laughs> no, it's the it's, it's the fact that I know now as an adult. That the unfinished threads that I look, that I'm like, oh, I wish they'd gotten to that. The only reason they didn't get to them is because my fucking generation got the Jim Lee stuff. It's not your generation. It's them. It's not you. It's, you just bought the issues, man. You were young. You didn't know any better. It's okay. I should have had an older brother tell me that. You should have. Your older brother's a dick. That's true. My older brothers were fucking awesome. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. Maybe I should complain to them. Stuck in my basement with Sean. Yeah. But I do get to talk to Alan, so it's not all bad. Oh, that's bogus. <laughs> I love you, man. At least my brothers gave me good musical taste. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I really like Zeppelin. All right. <laughs> I'm into it. What did I like then? No, you know what I was into? The Smiths. Depeche Mode, all that shit. That was my jam. Oh my god. Oh, that that reminds me. I'm sorry that I have to do this while you're on the horn there, Alan, but the Baron requested that I find a picture of you with a... uh, Hair? Yes, but (laughs) but more specifically, okay, we want a Morrissey-style fucking pompadour. I've got it. Oh my god. I've got it. Where? Everywhere. I'll get it to you. Yes? You know that was my hero. I love the fact that here. Okay, here's the thing. When I was Jerry. 15, I got my hair cut just like Morrissey's, and I was like, "Fuck yeah, just like Morrissey." I'm gonna get all the chicks just like Morrissey. Oh my god! <laughs> and I was like, "Why does my hair look just like Morrissey when he's got that receding hairline?" I'm 15, and I have a receding. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> So that haircut didn't last real long. Oh my god. I need that photo. I'll get you one. Uh, Alan, see, I'm I, sorry I, that I you had to go Jerry through that. And full Depeche mode. So Kitty has decided that she is going to win Professor X over. And she tries. Flattery. Yeah, she the... beats him at chess. She yells at him. She practices harder in the danger room. Oh my god, when she's, it's not even practice, she's just moving stuff. Like I remember when she time. couldn't do that before. No, but, it's so, cause it's like reading this now, it's like such a kid, like I remember I really wanted to go to this concert, and like my mom was like, you should wash all the cars. So I'm out fucking washing my parents' cars. Didn't go to the concert? No, I got to go to the concert, oh, well, but I just, worked. I think it's, I just seen Kitty go through the same thing, it made me laugh. I can't wait till my kid's 14 and I can start using this shit on her. Yep. You can. But look, if you don't behave, I'm taking your Captain Kirk cut out of the way. I feel like Alan's gone. Alan, are you gone? See, he's gone. He's, I can hear him moving. <laughs> Alan, come back! <coughs> he's there! <laughs> can you hear us? 
Uh-huh. You can't hear us, Sean. Is that bad? Can you hear me now? I will. There you go. I hear you. Hey. Alan, do you have any comments about the kitty sucking up with Professor X? Well, a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. She does. It's true. Yep. And I liked, but I, I mean, for the Aurora thing, though, don't you don't you like the way Paul Smith preserved uh, Cockrum's eyebrows for Storm? Yes, I do. She's not always my favorite, the way that he draws her. But um, this issue, I do like the way he draws her. It's just a she, he's she, this is the this is the uh the face that makes me think Angela Bassett should be playing her. Yes. Yeah. Not the first time I've heard that. I got it. And you're not wrong. I got it from Paul Smith's art of her. Yeah. Angela Bassett's nice. No lies. But it's like just just somehow Paul Smith was able just to preserve the fact that she's an African and now American woman, African American woman. She's got mm-hmm. her nose is broadened. She's got full lips, and um, just because and just because she got the blue eyes and white hair doesn't mean that she's not of African descent. I, I love. Her. Now you you remember though that her dad is American, African American. Right. I mean, who knows for how long? But David, you know, I think his name do you is. know where the the blue eyes and the the weird blue eyes come from? She's a mutant. That's all. Well, that's that all too. Originally, Storm Storm is a composite of two different characters. Oh, Black Cat. Yeah. There was uh, um, originally Cockrum and Len Wein had two different characters they were talking about doing, and they were both a little too one-dimensional. So they decided the one was like this, this person who could control the weather, and the other was this feline character. And they combined the two into one character so but they kept the feline looking eyes they just made them blue that's where that shit comes from nice it's true looks good it does look good you guys (laughs) you know who else looks good now lee forrester looks good she done grew out her hair all the way down and scott summers has gone down south to pay her a visit because he's a dick, I guess. To hand her a wrench. He did. He handed her his tool, and she thought, this isn't the tool I'm used to getting. It must be Scott! <laughs> <laughs> yup. So they, they go for a long walk on the beach. I also want to point out, since we just discussed the fact that we're nearing the holiday season, and to get everybody pumped up for the second annual GX Pod Christmas episode, that this issue does take place at Christmas time. In fact, it does. Damn, how did I miss that? It does. I mean, I know it's snowy. Merry Christmas, Lee. Oh. Although it doesn't look like Christmas down there, but I mean, right. you're living in a tropical place, you're not going to get snow. Matter of fact, what you're going to do is you're going to get your shirt, you're going to tie it in between your boobs, and then you're going to get your Daisy Dukes on, and you're going to fan your long, luxurious, white blonde hair, and you're going to walk with Scott on the beach. That's what you're going to do. That's right. She's got that long mane now. That's new. And he likes it a lot. He He says, let's see how long he remembers how much he likes that hair. As Jerry adjusts his eyeglasses because he's upset. (laughs) I like Lee Forrester. I think they were a good match. I'll leave it at that. 
Mm-hmm. I hate Scott Summers with all blondes. Because I don't want to talk about the one that he winds up with. <laughs> what, you mean Emma Frost? Like, for no reason. <laughs> oh, Alan, no, you no, It's coming. So now we cut to Amanda Sefton's apartment. She wanders in looking not so shabby herself, except for that frilled collar thing she's wearing. Man, the 80s were brutal. <laughs> but uh, she walks into a candlelit uh, apartment. All the ladies love, and, they um, love Prince. They love Duran Duran. Flock of seagulls. They got them frills going. Who does she look like to you in that panel? I just figured it out. Not to me. I don't know. You tell me. And it's it's too early. It couldn't have been her as an inspiration, but it's Christina Applegate to me. Oh yeah, much too early. Christina, what? Yeah. She's, she's she's our age. Yes, she is. She must have been twelve in this era. Um. So, uh, Nightcrawler pulls the dick in the box move with his little bamf stuffed animal, and Amanda is buying into this move. She says, yum. She does. I love the fact that he's holding a martini glass with his tail. Yes. Oh my gosh, I just noticed that. Thank you, Sean. She, he certainly is. Kurt Wagner is a pimp. Yep. <laughs> I love this, man. He, he's just laying on the couch. He's got the little bamf doll. Obscuring his two penises. Have you heard that theory that Nightcrawler has two penises? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that. I don't know where that comes from, man. What the I fuck don't were you googling <laughs> that led you down that rabbit hole? I wish I could tell you. I don't know. <laughs> there's, there's, no. Maybe they're talking no, about yeah. his tail being one and his. Maybe. That could be. Yeah, some maybe. Jerry's got some weird fan fiction on his iPad. Hey. Hey now. So. Prehensile. Um, so Nightcrawler and Amanda are going to get to know each other a little bit in the next few hours. Uh, and we cut back to Kitty, who's in her room at the school. And I love this room because it just screams 80s to me. Yep. On her desk with her big bulky computer, she's got a Rubik's Revenge, which is the four square Rubik's Cube. The more challenging version, which she's solved because she's smart as shit. Mm-hmm. And she's got a Felix the Cat poster on the wall. She's got an E.T. calendar. And then, Alan, I know you noticed this. There's a poster on the wall that says, The Legion Eats Quiche. Oh. Did you notice that? Nope. So this is a little Easter egg from Paul Smith. Busting on The Legion from the... Distinguished competition. Who? Yeah. <laughs> that's right. He totally cracks on him. And, and a lot of people cap on the X-Men as being a cheap knockoff of the Legion or Doom Patrol or whatever. What are those? Right. <laughs> so, so Paul Smith takes his shot and says that the Legion eat quiche. And this is a supreme... What the fuck is Paul Smith's problem with quiche? <laughs> yeah, right. Well... In 1982, there was a best-selling book called Real Men Don't Eat Quiche. And it was a tongue-in-cheek kind of humorous thing about what a man's man really is. Mm -hmm. And a man's man does not eat quiche. That's women's food. In in 1982, anyway. In 1982, right. 
now now a hipster foodie is all about quiche. They love quiche. They make quiche every day. But um but back then that was oh it was the least manly thing you could do was eat quiche. So the legions suck. <laughs> basically. Over. And I hope Slurmo doesn't hear that because his head will explode. Over Winnie the Pooh's head. Yeah, I'm, as, as. Over Winnie the Pooh's head, right? Yeah. There's a giant Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. I, 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 I think I'm supposed to defend the Legion since I'm a listener to, um, the Legion of Substitute Podcasters, but I'm gonna let you fight that one. I'm not gonna fight that one. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, while this is happening, uh, Peter and Ileana walk up in their parkas and they, they, uh, knock on the window and they tell Kitty that she's invited to come along and chop firewood with them. And she says, well, I can't get everything done. I want to get done if I do that. But while you're doing that, I'll mull some cider. You guys, this is like, this is what I wanted my childhood to be like. This is like the fairy tale childhood that she's living out. And I'm just, I wanted it so effing bad. <laughs> to be a part of a big thing, to be a part of a family, a big family. And yeah, and it, I, I'm sucked into this as a kid and I ate this shit up. And while we're on the subject, I'll be right back. You guys talk amongst yourselves. Oh, oh what? <laughs> Jerry's gonna fucking go mull some cider. <laughs> Is that what the kids I gotta, are calling it these days? I, <laughs> I gotta agree with Jerry. I kind of, this is definitely one of the things that I um miss that's in the not in the books right now is I don't feel the family vibe. Oh yeah. They're too Cause there's a, They're too military. There's a million of them running around down there in in the mansion. And I suppose that's the long that was the long-term plan for uh for Xavier's school is just to house a lot more. And even these stories that's coming up, this story arc that's coming up was a kind of um an example, or at least a precursor of what was wrong with the with the X Mansion. Yeah. Right? So now that now? they're fixing that now <laughs> in today's continuity, but it does take away that family feel, that that um, close hearth and home kind of feel of the X, of the mansion. Alan, I feel bad that you're not here, but I have indeed mulled some cider. How do you mull cider? <laughs> Can you just tell us all that people in the civilized world who don't know about mulling stuff? What do you? How do you mull cider? Well, I threw some cloves and some cinnamon and some allspice and some nutmeg into some cider, and I simmered it slowly for way longer than I intended to. Because <laughs> hey, we got distracted. I thought we'd be well past this page right now. Holy shit! This has been upstairs on fire hour. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. Um, you are here drinking mold cider with us in our hearts. Uh, and that goes for all the listeners too. Get- this is for you listeners. If I ever win the lotto, I'm going to buy a mansion in Westchester County and I'm going to move all of us there. That have been a big lotto. Uh, I'm going to yeah. the Powerball and everything, bro, because Westchester's not having <laughs> any kind of <laughs> small potatoes. It's high priced up there. Uh, High priced everywhere in New York. Oh, that's the God's honest truth. You need to come here to Livonia. What? You can find a nice house here, Alan. Mm-hmm. You can live a happy life here. There's no subway to get you upset. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to get me upset. <laughs> oh, <laughs> damn, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I like my anger. 
<laughs> it, it, anger can make you strong. To to quote uh, the first X Men movie. <sighs> so, Kitty, I thought um, you were quoting the good guys from Star Wars. Oh yeah. <laughs> Why you got a wreck on Star Wars? I hate that. I hate that. Kitty has discovered a, a weird reading on her little computer scan of the building down in the service tunnels below. I'd like to, um, on the next page, there's an ad, and everybody knows how much I enjoy the ads. Yeah. Them just as much as the comics. But it is uh, Spider-Man coming down a chimney. It's a <laughs> subscription ad, and he's got a Santa hat on, and he's stuffing Spider-Man comics into stockings. And Magneto, Dr. Octopus, and Dr. Doom are outside the window by the Christmas tree singing Christmas carols. It's pretty awesome. Make sure that I get this up on the Tumblr page for the three people to come view our Tumblr, which is amazing. I don't know why people don't like it more. Um, we put good shit on that Tumblr. Uh, it's because it's Tumblr and it's not cats or feminist propaganda. Oof. Sean. <laughs> Hey, I can Sean, all that. We got both barrels loaded, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> For some reason today, I'm just. I heard you. <laughs> I heard you sip your mulled cider, so you have no cause right now to complain. About he's mad as hell, and he's not gonna take it anymore. <laughs> I heard that sip. So Kitty goes to the basement, and she finds a wire that's been strategically sliced. Could it have been Wolverine? Oh, like he did at the Hellfire Club for when the sewer water rose and blew out the Hellfire Club's electricity. Man's a genius. But no, it's not him because he's in the Canadian Rockies. Must be someone else. Who could it be? She finds Lockheed hanging out in the tunnels. Can Can we also say that this is the phase where she was called Sprite? Yes. Because Professor Xavier is calling her Sprite in the, in the mental link. So the um, the Ariel code name was very short lived. Yes, she dropped that with the quickness. Yeah, she said, "I'm Jewish, and what? Just call me Kitty. I'm not trying to be Ariel." <laughs> so here's an interesting thing. I think in the the X Men Alpha Flight two parter miniseries, I think she goes by Ariel in that. Yeah, I'm well, not maybe sure. She, you know, I was trying to figure out where that thing fit in. To the whole continuity, and it doesn't seem to fit in anywhere. So I don't know when we're going to talk about it. Soon. Other than to say I love that. Love it. But Maybe we'll devote an entire episode to that. <gasps> and we'll have another guest from CBR on during that. <gasps> I love it. Foreshadowing. That's foreshadowing, people. Four. <laughs> Shadow. Oh no, Kitty is attacked by Sidrian Hunters. Is this the first you time guys, that these came up? No. They showed up to try to take out Corsair early in the Cockrum second run. Oh, that's right. How did I... uh, and it seems like they never left. There's a few of them in the basement of the X-Mansion, which has been rebuilt again. <laughs> so they're skittering around. And they want to knock it down again. And one of them zaps Kitty with his little eye beams, and uh, we get to see Grim... Gritted teeth, determined kitty. Yeah. My favorite kitty. She's not going to take that shit. And she unleashes every move that Wolverine's ever taught her. And this is the strength of Paul Smith again. He just has a way of making these bodies so solid and bendy. And they just look, they look 
substantial. They don't look they have dimension. Right. And he does it without any cross hatching. Right. At all. Just yeah. just some strategic folds of in cloth. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. So good. What about the hair? I, just the way that he does the hair. He's got the highlights in who how even can I describe it? He's got solid black highlights. In the low folds, lights, I guess, or, huh? low lights. That sounds good. Low lights yeah. that accentuates highlights by their absence. Right. Mm-hmm. Isn't that right? Yeah. And it's it's just it looks so fluid, even though it's not with a billion little stripes. You know, it's solid. It's solid ink, but it indicates fluidity. And I guess we should probably give Wyatt some credit for executing that because he's the inker. Yep. But I've seen those pencils, haven't you? Uh, yes. Oh. <laughs> it's all there. It's all there. Um, but I think uh, this is probably the best kitty's ever going to get. Yeah. This issue in particular and this run in general. Um, she never, she's never characterized better. She never looks better than she does in Claremont. Smith run. You know, just ignoring the temper tantrums, of which there are legion. <laughs> but she's 13 and a half. Oof. That's right. <laughs> Come on, you know legion. He's an X-Men guy. Oh, yeah. That one doesn't work on him. According to recent continuity, he doesn't exist. Aww. Ever. Ever? Ever. Aw. I didn't get that out of it. That ruins everything. Now I don't like it anymore. That's what Simon Spurrier does. Kills my hopes and dreams. So one of the Sidrian hunters is about to blast Kitty when in slides a... Uh... Yet! Yep. <laughs> that was awesome. When Colossus shows up, takes out the Sidrian hunter, that uh last row of panels, the first panel, when you see Colossus punch, his arm looks bad fucking ass in that. <laughs> yeah. All the sinews. Right? Yeah, I I love the way he draws him because you've right. got the Shit. banding from the you know the joints or whatever of his armor letting him flex, but you also get that the muscles are banded. I gotta start because he is cutting Jerry. Get that going out of my arm. Yeah, <laughs> get it. You'll get cut, bunch pressing me, guaranteed. Um. So as a reward for Colossus and and Kitty taking them out and Lockheed eating the, the nest that the Sidri have built in the basement. Burp. Burp. <laughs> Burp. <laughs> uh, Kitty um, brings Lockheed to introduce to, to Professor X and he's worried that the dragon's going to eat him and she promises that he won't. And as a thank you, Professor X declares that she is welcome back to the X-Men as a probationary member. So not so much of a jerk. Not so much of a jerk at all. And I guess we should probably talk about whether or not we think she should have been demoted in the first place. She Um, never makes an appearance in the New Mutants. Well, that's probably due to her resistance. The the character probably did every possible thing she could do not to be in with the New Mutants. And two, I just think, like, as great as it would have been, I'm sure, and probably maybe got... I'm, I'm sure there were plenty of people already interested in the New Mutants, so there was no reason to jam an X-Men character in there. Yeah. But I'm sure that it was probably the smart decision because that would have 
I don't know. I feel like it would have easily become the Kitty Pride show. Oh, yeah, maybe. Kitty Pride and the New Mutants. And the New Mutants, yeah. They would have had a leader imposed on them, too. It wouldn't have been great for them, either. Because you know she would have known everything. Yeah. When I was with the X-Men, we did this. Yeah. And when I was with the X-Men, we did that. It's interesting that you say that in that way, Alan, because when I was younger and Generation X came out, that was almost bit-for-bit dialogue from Jubilee. Yeah. And they kind of hit that with her mm-hmm. in there where they were like, where she'd constantly compare her time to the X-Men and it got on everyone's nerves, especially Monet. Yeah, well, what does not get on <laughs> Monet's <type>? nerves? <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. And uh, for those following along with the actual comics and not this digital bullshit, the next page. <laughs> rip and a tear! Next... He's talking about me. Sean is next... on a rip and a tear. The next page has a sweet Dungeons and Dragons. Oh my god, uh, by Bill Willingham! And there's five kids sitting around a table laughing. Oh. It's two girls there, so it's clearly not legit. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Not then. Not Maybe up. now. And I don't see Alan girls... represented in that either. Thank you. Yeah. But I was there, and so was a girl in my in my group. Yes! Me and a, really? me a girl, and everybody else is white guys. And so you had a game going back then. Hell yeah! Alright, I did too, but it was with my older brothers. Yeah, that's cool. And um, and my cousins, when they come into town, and when they showed up, oh my god, D&D was the best thing ever. That's awesome. And I've thought about going back to that sometimes, but I don't think I could ever recapture that. Yeah, that'd be tough. I've never actually played. It's new every time, though. Every time you play, it's a new, awesome experience if you've ever loved it. Yeah, I have tried to go back and couldn't. I think I feel like you need somebody really creative yeah. running that game as your dungeon master, and I don't. Yeah. I don't know anybody creative that's got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that out there in Michigan. No, no, we're too busy working for a living. Is that right? Trying to get by, just trying to get by, Alan. That's all. Okay. I want to give it a shot. You wouldn't know about that. Nope. I don't know <laughs> nothing about that. Working for a living. I don't know what that's like. Oh. Sitting up here eating my bonbons in my penthouse looking over Park yeah. Avenue. So on the final page of this issue, Scott has flown up to Alaska with Corsair and his brother Alex Havoc um, to meet their grandparents for the first time. This is... Um, Corsair's parents, uh, their, their mother's parents have passed away, but Corsair's parents are still around and they've flown up to meet them. And, um, their connecting flight is, uh, on this icy runway and they're greeted by the pilot. And Scott gets one look at her and her red hair and her green jacket with the white, the yellow scarf. And he says, have I gone mad? But Dad and Alex see it, too. Her voice, her face, it can't be. It's impossible. And she's told, welcome to Alaska. My name's Madeline Pryor. And you don't really get it from from the drawing itself, but this woman is intended to be a spitting image of Jean Grey. Yep. Now, so I got, so I, I'll have, I have a story now. But uh, I need, I need three minutes. Let us have it. Yes. So, all right, Madeline Pryor. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. So when I'm around this time, 
in the 80s. I was listening to, I, and I still do listen to, a station called WBAI in New York City, which is a public-sponsored radio station. And there's a, there was a program on when I was working overnights at the post office called Hour of the Wolf. It, it was actually on overnights at the Hour mm-hmm. of the Wolf. It came on at like 5 in the morning on Saturday mornings. Mm-hmm. And they would play inter Stitially with uh, stories they would read, fantasy, science fiction, whatever. Um, a group called Steel Eye Span. And I'm wondering if anybody's ever heard of Steel Eye Span. Well, that, no. that show is still on 30 years later on WBAI. Same guys running it, Jim Freund. But this, and Steel Eye Span is no longer together, but their lead singer is named Madeline Pryor. Whoa! So when I read this comic, and I saw Madeline Pryor, I was like, um, but, and so, but, and. So I got in contact with the guy running the show, uh-huh. and I asked him, his name is Jim Freund. It still is Jim Freund. He's still doing the show. And I asked him, I called him up and I asked him, because he had, you know, you could call him to the television show, I mean to the radio program. And I asked him, have you ever heard of... Um, Chris Claremont of the X-Men and he said well, I'm, I'm peripherally aware of the X-Men blah 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 and he went into you know the comic guy's voice about you know because he's chief high nerd and he's got this program <laughs> and I'm like yeah well because no in the X-Men right now there's a character that's been introduced named Madeline Pryor just like the singer of the the band you always play on your show and he's like is that right and I wonder where Chris Clam, I got that from. So I hang up the phone. Jim Freund goes on. He then gets through his sources in the 80s, contacted Chris Claremont, asked him if he knew about um, this, the, 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 the band called Steel Ice Band. Chris Claremont tells him, yes, and not only that, but I named a character in the X-Men that I'm writing after the lead singer. <laughs> So then Jim Freund says, is that right? Well, would you like to come on my show and talk to us about the X-Men? And Chris Claremont said yes. Whoa. Look at you. Then Alan. Jim Freund, I, I contacted him again and said, how did all that shake out? He said, I'm going to have Chris Claremont on the show. And would you like to come down to the studio? What? <laughs> and I was what? That would be great. I would love to come down to this studio. And I went down to the studio. And I was in the recording session when they were doing the show with Chris Claremont. And Chris Claremont was one side and Jim Freund was on the other side. And I'm tucked away in the corner just with my jaw hanging on the ground like, oh, my God, I'm here. I'm like right here. That's the fucking coolest story ever. <laughs> in the 80s, man. Wow. Dude. Dude, at the height of the book's popularity, yes, you were... that's it! That's, 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 just imagine And think it. about it, like, if you hadn't have clued them, like, none of that would have ever happened if you hadn't have been like, hey. Yep. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. Yep. Alan, that's why you'll always be number one in our hearts. Sean! Number one with a bullet. Jerry... It's all true. It's all true. I, and I like doing that. I like I like linking people up with people. So that's my story. That's my Madeline Pryor story. That's awesome. 
I have no idea how to segue from that. What's crazy? I about just want it, to right? stay on it. Yeah. What's crazy is that like I would have never known that, right? But there you are, like hanging out in the fucking studio, like <laughs> putting it together. It's awesome. <laughs> like the puppet master. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who knew what kind of influence that is even possible unless you try. And you're how old at this point? The big five oh. No, it, back in 82. My, I, all, all my nerd brothers and sisters have already done the math, and they're running around circles. All the Sheldon Coopers are telling me, man, <laughs> you were like totally 18 at the time. What's wrong with you? Why don't you know that? Well, if you were working overnights at the post office, I hope you weren't 16. No. No. As a matter of fact, it, this might have been before the post office because it's been on ever since. Mm. So I might have just kept listening to it when I started working for the post office. Now, did you get to did you get to meet Chris Claremont when you were there, or were you just sitting there? No, no, no. We shook hands. Started. We shook hands. Oh, I was wow. like, "Hi, hi, I'm I'm a big fan." And then you know it became. To see what's crazy is he probably. I mean, obviously, like he wouldn't have been able to go on that show if it wasn't for you, right? So he should have been thanking you, like thanks for the publicity, New Mutant. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I had—I wasn't New Mutant at the time. I was—I I hadn't hit my puberty yet, so my mutant powers didn't show yet. All right. I was uh, well, Stevie Hunter at the time. Clearly, your mutant <laughs> power is bringing joy to everyone around you. Every time I see Chris Claremont now at a con, I never talk about that. I never—I'm always just awestruck again. I'm always I'm, thinking I'm standing here. My my online persona is New Mutant because of this man standing sitting right there. So how do I even talk to him instead of reminding him about that time? So gonna, there you that's go. The next thing I'm gonna do next time I see him. Next time. Yep. Next time. Maybe it'll be at C2E2. We can all do it together. Yeah. And we can get that drop for the show. You owe this man a thank you, we'll say. Sean won't. Sean will be like, oh, oh, I clam up. That's true. <laughs> I'll I'll have pooped my pants, but I'll say the words. <laughs> I'll bring air fresheners. <laughs> thank you. Ugh. Okay. Uncanny X-Men 169. Hour number five. Hour number five. <laughs> Maybe we better just treat the next two issues as one issue and just kind of bullet point. <laughs> um, these two issues are the first appearance of the Morlocks, minus Caliban, in the X-Men universe. And anywhere, as far as I know. True. It has to be the way this they explained it. Yeah. It has to be the first time. This is, this does, your, does your place in New York have an elevator in it, like Candy Southern and Warren Worthington's place? Damn, man. Well, <laughs> the story opens with Candy Southern walking into their apartment. You're like, I, yes, it's a communal elevator that <laughs> never works. <laughs> that actually, uh, well, no, it's not as round like that, but there have, I've been in a few apartments where the elevator goes right up to the apartment. It doesn't, Whoa. it doesn't go into the, a hallway. It goes up into the apartment. That is fancy. That I don't know, man. That weird me out. It's kind of strange. I've been watching a few too many of those real crime shows. I'd be like that. I'd hear that ding, and I'd be like, "I'm dead." <laughs> <laughs> but it has all these controls on it, so that you know, it doesn't come to your floor and 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 and, and your apartment until uh, you have coded it correct 
Whatever, man. All you got to do is pop open the panel, touch the red wire to the green wire, and the next thing you know, you're murdering a family. Yep. It doesn't take much. Egad. <laughs> Terrifying. Oh, don't trust technology. Kira goes dark. <laughs> yeah, what? It, it, that, it's true. But it, on the inside of the apartment, I don't know about that. Because that's what Warren, that's how Warrington's roll, how Warren is rolling. He's got it on the inside of the apartment. So this place is somewhere in New York City. Yep. And it is enormous. With an, a little space tube elevator going up to the second floor. An open fireplace in the middle of the room. Hot babe for a girlfriend. Candy Southern. And she gets home and there's, uh, feathers and blood all over the floor. And she quickly freaks out, realizing something terrible must have happened. Runs to the old school phone with the speed dial buttons on it. To Xavier, to McCoy, to I don't know who the other people are. Oh, Ralph Waite. I, I was think. really hoping you would know who those other names on there are. No, I don't know any of them. Virgo. There's a Virgo he likes to call. Yep. <laughs> Is this, maybe Paul Smith was a, a that's, Serenko fan. That's lawyers and company people for the uh, Worthington Industries. <laughs> Probably. Uh, Probably. But she speed dials Professor X and calls for help. Oh, it's wait. For a second there, I thought it was white, and I got all excited. <laughs> oh, it's oh, me. One letter. We can change that. We can change that in our issues. <laughs> I want to say that um, ran away or ran a wire, whatever that one is above wait, probably a high-end call girl service. That's how Warren rolls. <laughs> uh, high-end threesomes? Yep. Uh, oh, I've got a threesome joke, and is it this issue? It is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great. So before she can get out her entire story to Professor X, she is set upon by Sunder, who declares, I am Sunder. I am here to hurt you. And all you see is his arm in his enormous hand. All of it gnarled. Gnarly. Gnarls Barkley. With little warts all over it. You know this guy's probably gross. (laughs) And he is going to hurt her. That's a damn shame. You're just going to come on somebody's house and just tell them you're going to hurt them. Right. Paul Smith makes excellent use of the splash page. He does. He doesn't usually go large scale, but you get your money's worth out of it. And again, he, he makes action and motion out of the simplest lines on in the fabric of the clothing that she's wearing. You could tell that she's she's ready to – she's either fleeing or she's she's – Throwing her hand up, just things. Things are happening there, even though it's some a few simple lines. So good, yeah. so good, damn good, yeah, so good. You think you think anyone could do it, but no, they cannot. Well, die trying, though. I tell you that. Now for the sad part of the story. Kurt is naked. Is still, he's continuing his evening. Naked, yeah, with Amanda. Naked. It, now in the hot tub. Naked. And uh, he's not using his tail anymore to hold that martini, if you know what What's I mean. What's it doing, Jerry? What's your tail <laughs> doing under the water, Jerry? I don't know. I don't know. But Professor X, cock blocker that he is, <laughs> shows up with his astral projection and says, Hey, we have an emergency situation. Kurt, being a hero, teleports naked, naked. straight up into the air so that he – this this is my favorite part of the book. 
He teleports straight up into the air as high as he can, so he gets line of sight. Jerry's kind of crush. Uh, to, uh, to Warren's building, and then he teleports over to it and sticks to the glass a la Spider-Man, because people forget that Kurt has this power. Yep, and he can see, uh, he can see Warren being carried into the subway, but right as he sees that, there's a crash on the window directly underneath him, and Candy gets thrown out of it. Dang. So he grabs her and teleports her right back into the hot tub with Amanda. And he's like, let's all three of us warm up, because it's pretty cold out there. Hold that thought. I'll be back. <laughs> Wink. Kurt, no, don't you? There! Oh. <laughs> she did, she was not happy. But she'll, she'll learn. She'll learn. Uh, cut to the Hellfire Club. Where a pissed off looking Sebastian Shaw storms in out of the elements, takes off his top coat, revealing his suave 19th, 18th, 16th, whatever century 16th. attire, uh, goes through a secret bookcase doorway down into the sub level, finding Tessa and her hot self waiting for him. Yeah. <laughs> Hanging out in her pink lingerie. With her fit, with her uh, garters, garters, and her high stockings, and she takes her to a room to show him that old bitch, Emma Frost, comatose, mm-hmm. on a table. Cry me a motherfucking river. Cry me a. R- so what happened? She got scared. Did somebody show up and and spook her into her little psychic coma? Well, guess what? This is what happens when you act like a bitch. When you walk around the mutant population like you own everything, and you step to people and you snatch them off the street and you put them in cages and you strip them down to their European briefs and then you make all these faces and you talk about I can do this and I can do well yeah you can do all that and your ass winds up in a coma and that's what you get that's what you get that's what you get I can't argue with any of that it's true it's true oh, and uh. <laughs> Oh, Fuck off! I ain't got time for her. So I think that this is the first clue in the lead up to issue 175, which is the culmination of Paul Smith's run, his grand finale, revealing the big bad in the overall story arc. And do you remember an earlier hint at what might be going on? I don't think so. Before this arc, or before this event, where Emma Frost has been struck comatose by a telepath, did we? I don't know if we got to it yet. I'm thinking of uh, Mystique's situation. Yeah, that's later. Okay. That's coming up. No, then. and that's weird. I have questions about that one. But um, clearly, a very strong telepath of unknown origin has done this to her, and it's very mysterious. And the camera pans back. From Sebastian and Tessa through the the torch lit hallway, which is just cool, man. I if I was a villain with a lair, this is what I want. Yeah. Not Magneto's lava base <laughs> with all the computers and robot nannies and shit. I want this. This is what I want. A dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> with women walking around in garters and lingerie. Yes. Well, that's a good right, one. That's assumed, yes. Uh, but you hear malevolent laughter in the background, bodiless, nobody knows where it's coming from. And that is the hallmark of one very specific X-Men villain that we've had recent experience with. 
with you, Alan. Hint. Uh, so, <laughs> so um, Amanda and Candy are warming up in their apartment with uh, bath towels. Amanda's has a hood because she's a Jedi magician <laughs> warlock. What up? And uh, the X-Men are there. Kurt's still toweling off. Everybody's in uniform and they're ready to kick ass. And Kitty's got a new uniform and I have always liked this uniform. Yes. Yeah, so far this is the best one out of all of them. I wrote that down too. I love it. I like JRJR's Shadowcat costume the best, but this is my second favorite. Yeah. And you know what I like the most about this costume? Nope. Is the marionette, um, eye covers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and it effectively covers her eyebrows. It does. Like that makes sense, actually. You wouldn't have eyebrows on top of a mask. Not in those days. Maybe now. Maybe. If you have a confused artist. But, um, but yeah, she's got that Micronauts look that, uh, I will always love. And she's brought Lockheed along and she leaves Lockheed with Amanda to watch Candy while the X-Men go kick some ass. And Amanda announces, don't worry, Kitty, my mom taught me all about the care and feeding of dragons. And uh, Lockheed seems to like Amanda, and he's a smart guy. He likes hot babes. Who used to be his half-sister, but I mean... Well, uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's. I mean, they're doing it. Everybody just get used to it. It's happening. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going away. Because <laughs> Claremont's into the freaky-deaky stuff, in case <laughs> nobody's picked up on that. Yeah. Oh, that's that, that's a thing that I wanted to to ask you guys to start doing. So the way that uh, when Candy Southern came home and saw the the pick the um, feathers on the floor, she said, "Molting lover." Yeah. I, I want you guys just to start calling your significant others lover. Don't don't call them by their names. Don't say sweetie. Don't say honey. Just go lover. That always made me feel weird. That that and that SNL skit always summed it up perfectly. Which one? It's the one where Rachel Dratch and Will Ferrell oh. in the hot tub and they keep on calling each other lover. That they, they are that is a couple straight out of a Chris Claremont comic. Yeah. I swear. Yup. But I like it. That'll be my first question for Claremont: is how his swinging lifestyle worked out for him in the eighties. Aww. When Melissa and the kids walk in, I'm calling her lover for the rest of the day, and I'm going to see how many times I can get the kids to dry rich. Um. (laughs) 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 Oh, gosh. Maybe I should come to Michigan and set up a practice for your kids anyway, for nothing else. Yes. Yes. So the X-Men have their first encounter with the Morlocks. Um, They head into the subway tunnels. Kitty gets separated from the rest of the team. The... The rest of the team gets to fight these nameless B-team guys. I do love the panel real quick of uh, of the staircase when they're walking down into the Morlock tunnels. Yeah. And they get attacked by the uh, Morlocks. I, I, I don't know why, but I really like that page. It really captures the the action of the... Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, they're in motion, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I also, I wonder, too, like... Part of me was curious. I mean, obviously they had the Wolverine miniseries prepared and ready to go, but I wonder if they timed it specifically for these issues because I have a feeling that if Wolverine had been around for this, it would have gone considerably differently. Oh, yes. 
Yeah. It would. So I wonder, like, how much of that was just like we have to get Wolverine off the table during this because he'd just start fucking killing Morlocks. <laughs> <laughs> and he wouldn't have been the one that fought Callisto in the end. It right. probably would have. Well, he he does take a backseat to Storm. If Storm said she wanted to do it, true. There's uh, there's some question about what he would have done there for me. I don't know. I just find it interesting and and nice that this was the first time they were like, you know what? Let's give the others their. I mean, everybody has their moments. I don't think that Wolverine was the superstar that he became later on during this. Like, I think they all had equal billing, but it was fun to see. Uh, at this point, Wolverine is. You think so? Yeah. All Wouldn't right. you say, Alan? Wolverine's the star of this team. I'm gonna. I you know I think. He was growing, yeah, in that popularity. But when they took him out of this book to put him in his own miniseries, isn't that when he blew up huge when Frank Miller was doing him? Yeah. I think so. Because I think that's why he's not in this book is to be in that book, which, you know, yes. what a novelty yes. that they remove him from one team book and put him in his – instead of having him in this book and then in his other book and then in another book and also and now in the Avengers. Book. Thank you for bringing that up because, yes, I love that aspect of it. They do that now. Yeah. Well, they, they, I guess they did it this time. So while the X-Men are mopping the floors with the B-team, Kitty alone is faced with the A-team of the Morlocks. Everybody knows this is the A-team. She runs into Callisto, Sunder, Plague, and Mask. And these are really, I mean, there are a few other Morlocks that you get to know really well. Um, some of them die tragically. And sadly, it makes me cry every time I read it. But, um, but these, these are the, like the, the bad Morlocks. Not the morally gray area, but the bad guys. They have the most power and are most willing to use it. And can, and, uh, can we, can we emphasize the fact that Storm is the one that sent her to do the scouting? Yes. And sent her right. off and then she finds the A team. So because that's a part of, I still think that's a part of her, Character, of Storm's character development. Yeah. She's trying to take leadership, so she makes a decision to send Kitty on, and then there are ramifications for that decision that she has to face. Mm-hmm. More of her That's right. development as an individual rather than just the, the pretty babe with the bikini on. Ah, but we'll focus on that primarily. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Kitty does well against the Morlocks. Sunder is the big muscle bruiser. Plague is a really, these guys are all really gnarly looking. Yeah. And I, I, Alan, do you see a lot of Jack Davis in their character design? Well, if I were sophisticated enough to know Jack Davis's work, I would tell you yes, but I, I see like, I feel see, any better, Alan. I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> I, I see like Jack Davis and then, um, Oh, I'm gonna blank on the name now. The, uh, oh, not looking so smart now, are yeah. you? <laughs> I'm not saying I'm smart. I'm just saying I thought Alan was smarter. That's all. I thought he was smarter than me, so, and I was going to him for answers. That's what you get. That's what you get. And uh, you know. the dude, um, Richard Corbin. Oh, now see, I know who Richard Corbin is, bro. So when it comes to those that that spiderweb scar on some of those faces and that big bunching of flesh. That that is that's a Richard Corbin situation for sure. Yeah, he does a lot of that, but he does a lot of that in um, in like acrylic, doesn't he? Acrylic yes. paints. Mm. Is Corbin's yes, deal. So uh, Kitty thinks she gets away. 
she phases away, but um, Plague, who has an ability to make you sick by touching you, she transfers all these germs into you, and she make you sick enough to die. Um, she swipes through Kitty, and it's still enough to infect her the second that she solidifies. So the other the X Men deal with the Morlocks that they're fighting, and they. Sean's got something. Oh, I just I, re- I really love the panel where they're walking down the ladder because Nightcrawler's on the side crawling down the wall. Yes, yes. that's right. Yeah, I mean you, you feel like they're going on a journey through this. You know, there, there's a lot of um, dialogue here. It, it's very text heavy, but while they're talking about all this crap. There's something going on. They're not sitting at a table drinking mold cider. They're walking. <laughs> Paul Smith is world building. There's like a little rat looking down from a, a a pipe up in the ceiling in one panel, and like he he's built this world for you. So you kind of imagine the world that the Morlocks are living in, and that is a cool panel. And it keeps showing that depth, the, the, but, the long staircases, or now that long. Uh, ladder and things yeah it shows that they keep that they are going down into something deep but during that that heavy text is when um she's challenged on her decision of sending kitty and they're saying that they have they they're there to find angel so they're going to continue and hone in on angel signal that they got from the mansion but kurt and and peter of course are worried about well where's kitty we don't see Kitty, and and Storm has to say, no, we're going to keep going to find Angel. And now Kurt and Peter are thinking, hmm, she doesn't seem to care about Kitty. How can you just, how can you just decide something like that? And and Storm, in herself, when there were thought bubbles, thank you yeah. very much. Storm <laughs> is saying, how are you questioning me? How could you dare question me? I love Kitty like my daughter, but this is what I have to do. This is what we're down here for. She couldn't change things if she wanted to because she's got that little mini Cerebro that Professor X gave her, and it's attuned to Warren. So their best bet is to find Warren first. He's in the most imminent danger, as far as she can tell. And she's just just making the best decision she can. Right. And, you know, Kitty is closer to them, so of course they want to help her, but the reason that they're there... I mean, I'm with Storm. She's doing what leaders have to do. The hard decisions. Keep it going. Keep it moving forward. Not we're not uh, we're not here sightseeing. We got things. To and they shouldn't worry about Kitty anyway because she does fall ill, as we're led to believe will happen. But Caliban is there to save her. That's right, Caliban, looking exactly like he did in his first appearance in Uncanny X Men One Fifty Four. We'll say, I think that's right. The Dazzler and Spider Woman appearance. Yes. Um. And if it and he's, if it's not 154, it's gonna go boom 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 boom, and you will tell us. That's right, Alan. Caliban's first appearance was actually in Uncanny X Men number 148 from 1981. X Men, get it? And he says, "I will save her." She will love me, and she will stay here with me forever because Caliban is so lonely. Well, truth to tell, if if he didn't do it, you know, she'd die because she fell face forward into the water, and she's just floating there. And if somebody didn't pick her up, she would have drowned. Yeah. No lie. So good old Caliban. The X-Men finally find Angel crucified on this 
plush weird thing yeah. on a on an open train car. And um okay, here's this is the first panel that where I, I see Paul Smith missing a little bit. The most of the panel is awesome where Angel's shown to be crucified. Wearing a big it, diaper. Most of it's awesome. Wearing a diaper. It seems it's a but, diaper. It's not European briefs. There's too much gathering and bunching going on. There. Look at that. That's room for expansion, Alan. But look at her arm holding Warren's head in front of her. Um, the the perspective is just way... She's standing in front of him, oh. but her arm is straight out in front of him. Yeah. In front of her holding his head up. Um, yeah, that's a miss. Yeah, that wasn't right. But uh, that's okay. That's okay. I just I, I pointed out to be fair because for the most part I'd completely drool over every page of Paul Smith's art. Yeah, like what are we just fanboys that love everything and don't see I'm anything? Trying to wrong? give equal time. Trying to give equal time. But uh so Callisto says you can't have him and she pulls out her switchblade and she's so ugly. I love how ugly he makes her. You know that she she's ugly but she's still bad as hell. You know, like you don't you don't have to be a supermodel to be worth time in an X Men comic, or to be a threat. She uh, she cuts off the pin feathers of of Warren's wings, and this is like this is like um, the uh, the X Factor issues in the Mutant Massacre. You know, except he's unconscious this time, thankfully. And in a diaper, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is unfortunate. But it's the X Men spring to to his rescue, and um, Callisto nails Storm with Dennis a wrist the rocket. Menace. Yeah, Dennis the Menace style. <laughs> yep. Ow. And uh, they try to fight off the Morlocks, but there are just way too many, even for Colossus. I just, I just have not known, and still don't know where they all came from. I think Callisto's power is to make Morlocks appear out of nowhere. <laughs> it might be. Because she does it. it. She'll be. do this again. You'll see. She calls and they answer. They're just hiding in the shadows, man. I guess. And they, sub- Kitty- they subdue our people. <laughs> Kitty wakes up and she's uh, not doing well. Caliban promises he will find a way to cure her, even if it means going against Callisto. And creepy factor, she wakes up in a pink long dress. Yeah, I don't think she dressed herself. She didn't do that. Somebody took all her clothes off and then put this on her. You know, I didn't make that leap this time when I read it, and that is creepy. It's kind of (laughs) creepy, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, it's creepy. But she looks great for a 14-year-old. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Don't... (laughs) Help him, somebody. Somebody intervene. Jerry's going down uh, that road. Our next issue is Uncanny X-Men 170, as we hit the two-hour mark. <laughs> <laughs> X-Men! Um, You're welcome, people. And this is the the final showdown between Storm and Callisto, and it is bad as hell, but before we can get there... Scott and Madeline have their first date. Elitist who? Forrester what? What was her? Yeah, what the fuck, man? He just drops Lee like nobody's business. Like nobody's business. Never even mentions her. Right? Even in his thought bubbles. Oh, what about Lee? Nothing. No. 
the dude is, he realizes it's happening too, but he cannot stop himself from absolutely falling for this girl, despite knowing next to nothing about her. Right. They're just like, um, like forces of nature that are, are drawn to each other and cannot be stopped. Dis- but he, despite his, he, despite his efforts of, for trying to get them apart from one another, so he shows her the picture of Jean Grey to start out with. By the way, yeah, but, but before we get there, though, with he's you. watching her from across the room, and she uh, she kind of walks in front of this another amazing open fireplace, <laughs> and uh, and she's wearing this yellow dress, big frilly yellow dress with the puffy shoulder, uh, pirate shoulders, and um, she's silhouetted in front of this fire. You can see all the curves underneath the dress, mm-hmm. and and Scott's thinking to himself, the only way. To do that is to get her out of my life now and forever before it's... And he looks over and he can see her through that dress. And he says, too late. Mm-hmm. And it's too late. Mm-hmm. She's She has insinuated herself into his life. Yep. And, Scott uh, immediately no started back. thinking about going to Egypt and riding a camel. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Thigh gap. That's all I can. Oh, I see. I'm not that crude. I don't get those jokes. <laughs> that's, she's standing there. It's it's right there for you before your eyes. Yes, it is. Oh, there is cabbage. Yes, there is. Ugh. I'm gonna cut all that shit. Out. <laughs> well, Why? She's of age, Jerry. So I know. I know. I, know. <laughs> I don't think about cut that out stuff, the kitty stuff. <laughs> you can keep the of <laughs> age stuff. <laughs> so then. So then, uh, yeah, Scott tries to block his own cock by pulling out the Jean Grey folder picture out of his wallet. Um, I don't see any condoms in there, so I hope he's thought ahead. But um, he shows it to her and immediately breaks her heart. She's like, um, I got to walk over to this side of the room for a minute. I have to go stand in front of this silhouetting fire some more. I'm gonna- you stand over there and look back at me. Yeah. Well, so they, they both think about it. And uh, they decide they should just go for it, man. She walks back so, across the room again, and now she's back in front of him again. They like each other a lot, and they're going to see what happens. Hey, is his jacket zip-a-tone? Um, no. Well, oh, yeah. Damn no, it. I think it is. I think it was a pattern that they that they transferred onto the page. Okay. I, I hope so. I just like it when you guys say zip-a-tone. Uh-oh. I think that's zip-a-tone, Sean. I will, if I can find the page... And post it on our Tumblr. I will do so, and we'll know for sure. Okay. These people with their original art are selfish as hell about sharing it. <laughs> That's a dick move, man. You own a piece like that, share it with the world. We, Let us look. Did at we it. know for sure that it wasn't destroyed or something? No, of course not. And maybe Paul Smith still has it. It's possible he hasn't sold everything. You can follow him on Tumblr. I mean, on uh, on Twitter. I do. I sure do. And I just oh. ask him. He puts pretty, pretty stuff on there. You know, he has an account, but I'm not sure if he runs it himself or if it's run by whoever, um, does his website. He tweeted at us the other day, but it was blank. Yeah. And it was infuriating because I was like, <laughs> what did he want to say? <laughs> he, he said our names. That was enough. I guess. <laughs> Jerry. That's automatic though. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. 
Jerry got that tweet notification. His pants got tight. He did. He should have been wearing Warren's diaper so that he had room to expand. Speaking of Warren's diaper, he is now crucified again, but it looks like he's chained up through a weird belt. Callisto's got her torn up wedding dress on. And there's about to be a wedding. That's right. Happy day, right? Yeah. Romantic as hell. Callisto's happy. The most beautiful man in the world she's been calling him, by the way. We should remember, the reason Warren's down here is because she thinks he's the most beautiful man in the world. She sent the Morlocks up to fetch him for her. And he hasn't been awake at any time in this whole situation. No. No, they haven't explained how they're doing that, but I guess... I guess drugs would do. Yeah. Maybe one of the Morlocks touched him and made him deathly ill and he's just unconscious. Maybe, oh, um, Plague did it. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, that would be my guess is that it was Plague. But the X-Men, uh, spring to action again. Um, and Colossus deals a blow to Sunder that looks like it really hurts. But here we see this is the another art nitpick that I'm forced to mention. I'm with by you. My, I'm with you. I thought the same exact thing. We see Colossus's two arms. Well, there are two things with the panel, really. But were you thinking about his arms? No, I'm thinking about the the direction of the, the blow. Direction of the head. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Okay. So um, Sunder's head goes to the wrong in the wrong direction when he gets punched. But also Colossus's two arms are drawn in what's called a tangent where you see two objects that touch and the the manner in which they touch obscures the fact that there are two distinct objects. And for a lot of my artist friends out there, this is like the greatest sin ever. And I'm only sensitive to it because I've heard them complain about it so many times. But uh, this has been identified as one of said tangents. Um, And I always... Notice something weird about the panel, and I guess that's what it is. But um, I don't know. It still looks great to me. All of it looks just great. I just don't but like the way Sunder's head is is snapping to his left, left. while Colossus is hitting it from his left to the right. Yeah. Meh. Meh. It's ignore those two things. Great. If you can, after we've all pointed it out to you in <laughs> glaring detail. That's right. Paul Smith is still young in his career at this point anyway. So, I mean, think about how great this book is okay. overall and how young he was doing it. I think that I'd just like to point out the mistakes to show, to like emphasize the high points. You know, he's still young, still figuring it out. But still looks this good. Oh, so good. And on the very next page, one of my favorite things is a four tiny panels across the page spelling out Bamf as he does a serial teleport of Callisto around the room, uh, knocking the stuffing out of her. Mm. Because it hurts folks when he teleports them. They don't like that. Even someone as tough as Callisto. So the Morlocks surrender, but then Plague sneaks up on Storm and makes her sick. And now both sides are effed. <laughs> and, uh, but 
the Morlocks get the drop on the X-Men once again, and they tie them to stakes. Again. Are they going to be burned at the stakes? I don't know. So they, they tied them up one time, and they bust out. So now they're tying them up again. This is tie-up number two. Plumber rope this time. Yep. Kitty's still sick. Uh, Caliban decides he's got to take her to Callisto and beg that Plague undo what he's done. And now the book gets really effing weird. Yep. Mystique is running through the English countryside, chased by dogs and men on horseback. And for those who have read the Dark Phoenix saga, this looks very familiar to a dream that Jean Grey had right before she became the Dark Phoenix. That was that was in, in, instigated by the guy who's in Mystique's dream, which is um, Jason Weingard. That's right. Also known as Mastermind. Mm-hmm. This is clue number two, that something weird is going on. And uh, just like in the dream that Jean Grey had, she walks up and delivers the coup de grace on Mystique with a knife across the throat. Um, but this time, instead of a man with antlers or whatever weird thing was going on in Jean's Grey, Jean Grey's dream, it's Mystique getting cut in her own dream. She stays in the dream long enough to get her throat slit. And anybody that's ever had a dream like that, where like you stay in the dream long enough to have died, that is the creepiest sensation. <laughs> and and she wakes up and she's glad to be alive. And she goes from beautiful in one panel to gnarled <laughs> in the next. And I wonder if that's like her, she, she slips you know, like her concentration slips. Like maybe, maybe she's really older oh, than okay. than we think she well, is. And don't we know she is? She is older, isn't she? she? Didn't she do do stuff all throughout? Don't right. She's got a long history. But at this point, she doesn't. Ah, but uh, unless I don't remember how much they might have talked about in Miss Marvel. Right, right. I don't either. But um, so that's possible. She. It, it could just be inconsistency in the rendering, but she does not look. Her same blue beautiful self in that panel. But um, Destiny serves her some coffee, freshly brewed, and I'm, no, I'm not going to run up and get coffee now. But um, <laughs> but she she um, reveals that there's weird things going on, and um, they're trying to puzzle out who might be responsible when Destiny gets a vision that Rogue is in danger, and Mystique goes to rush up to her bedroom, but Destiny tells her it's already too late, and she's gone. And you see Rogue on a bus. Heading, Where's she going? Somewhere out of Washington, that's for sure. So the X-Men are tormented some more, this time by Mask, who has the power of manipulating people's flesh, except for her own. His own. I'm sorry, he's got a horribly disfigured face and is unable to fix it with his power. But um Nightcrawler challenges when Kitty shows up sick in Caliban's arms. I uh, love that Colossus busts out again when he again, sees Kitty. That's yeah. right. Because it's like it just shows the restraint, I think, in Colossus of like, I don't want to kill the Morlocks, I'm alright, I'm tied up. Yeah. Until shit like really gets seriously and then he's like, Alright, I gotta go fucking punch some Morlocks. Yeah. Like I actually like that that happened multiple times in this issue yeah. where he's just like, Alright. And then he does the uh the video game power up. (laughs) (laughs) 
So they beg for Kitty to be saved. Callisto refuses, and uh, Nightcrawler challenges her to a duel to the death. Which, by the way, I want to see a what-if issue where Nightcrawler does duel her to the death, Errol Flynn style. Dude, Nightcrawler with a knife is, and the will to kill you has got to be the worst thing in the world. <laughs> How do you stop that? Read the Age of Apocalypse. Right. But uh, Storm is, exerts her uh, leadership again, and she says, no, if anyone's going to fight, it's going to be me, even though she's sick as a dog with whatever plague put on her. The and, next page, though, is probably the greatest panel. Like, it's got to be in the top ten most memorable panels in X-Men history. Yes. It's up there for sure. I got can... a problem with your uh, <laughs> digital comic, Jerry? I'm getting there. <laughs> page below? There we go, yes. I got, I got the so, paper copy. <laughs> so, uh, Callisto is so cocky. She's sure she's got this. Storm is sick. She can't, she's not allowed to use her powers. Callisto's powers are kind of inherent. Like she's got speed and agility and durability and a little bit of a healing factor. So she's like, guys, I got this. And she flip, just uh, casually flips a knife, a stiletto over to Storm, who in one fluid motion backhandedly plucks it out of the air and flips it upright. Like, with just the baddest look of determination on her face. And Callisto's like, <laughs> The best is that Storm's face doesn't even change. Yeah. And you can tell that she lets the knife, like, twirl towards her much longer than Callisto would have ever... Th- like, it almost looks like it's about to drop. And then she just, bam, like, grabs it, fucking twists it around, and is ready to go. Like, like any pluck. great NFL receiver plucking the pass out of the air at the last second. So it's not to telegraph your moves. Words, man. How do y'all do it with the sports and the (laughs) comics? Oh, I don't get it. And then we are rewarded for sticking around for that great page with the juiciest ass shot of Storm of all time. (laughs) No. Paul Smith is a master of the feminine figure. Yes. Do you think that's the juiciest? Yeah, I was about to say, I don't think that's the juiciest. Well, you're wrong. You're both wrong. I'm sorry. I don't know, man. There's a Walt Simonson page in the next issue. That's good, too. But this is my number one. It's so juicy, I can see it from the front, motherfucker. (laughs) 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 Oh, man, she is thick. (laughs) Oh, man. For a moment, Jerry just didn't realize that me and Helen were here. I know. And he went to a place in his head. <laughs> Why don't we get a, co- a coffee, Sean? Why don't we leave? Uh... So, yeah, we should take a break. Yeah, Almost some cider, guys. I just need about 30 seconds here. <laughs> um, but uh, Callisto's kind of having her way with Storm in the knife fight, Cutting. slicing and dicing her. Blood. But Storm throws her cape around Callisto's knife arm, raises it up, and drives her stiletto home right into Callisto's chest. And as surprised as you and I are, Callisto looks even more surprised. And she drops, and Storm, expression unchanging again, just walks right past her like she's not even there. Yep. As she falls around, yep. And she walks up onto the dace, and she grabs Angel down, give me my man, she says. You guys are bitches <laughs> on this joint. 
You will do as I say. No more fucking around. Getting out of here. Right. I'm tired of this shit. <laughs> See, so that's character development, right? That's that's her change. All the questions that she was asking at the beginning there of the of, of two issues ago: Am I Aurora? Am I Storm? Should I stay? Why can't I feel? Why can't I feel the weather? What's happening to me? This is what's happening to her. She's hardening up. Yep. Yeah, she is. And uh, yeah, I don't think she ever goes back. No, she doesn't she, go I mean, back. This this this. Uh, stakes keep getting raised for the next 50 issues and uh, she's just never really allowed I mean the worst thing happens that can happen to a mutant happens to her in just 10 issues from now or uh, okay 15, uh, 18 issues from now so um, it's going to get a lot worse and it's never going to get better and the storm that we see today the storm that, that people like Slurmo don't like <laughs> that's who she's just become yeah, and we've lost the innocent storm. So and speaking, it's with this. Speaking of Slurmo, um, when I remember his one of his objections to Storm was the the thing that was in my mind about how she's changed in this scene or up, leading up to this scene and never changed back is that she's threatening to in to, in, in today's and co- comics and continuity, she's leading. And people are stepping to her with questions and doubts and things. And she's saying, if you don't like it, you can, I can throw you out of the plane. Would you like me to do that? Right. And that's this storm. We are, we are seeing this storm right here be that woman in, in current continuity. Before all of this, it was, oh, I'm getting buried and oh, uh, winds on high lift me now so i can fly and oh oh wolverine is so mean he's going to stab that poor deer and and oh my plants and la 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 nah that storm has changed and and she is now a leader and she's feeling more of her goddess and she's marrying a king and she's badass (laughs) she's badass chick she is Um, she ain't no ratchet She's not ratchet, no. <laughs> <laughs> she even, uh, yeah, she doesn't even go to the hood anymore. This guy with the trying to trying to push up on her at Salem Center. She's not trying to dismiss anybody with a rain cloud anymore. No, she's not ratchet. So let's transition to the end of the story where Scott has been making out with Maddie until dawn from their first date. And I've been married 15 years. It's been a long time since I've <laughs> made out with a girl the entire night without getting anywhere. Well, oh, you're this, saying that this, you start and you get every time, Jerry. That's what you're telling us? You don't just make out for nothing. I'm not saying it. I'm just saying. Uh, okay. I'm going to cut all this out because it sounds gross. Not too much. Nobody wants to think about that, but. Not true. Jerry's um, a fucking deal closer. I know that's right. <laughs> I close the deal. A, B, C, gentlemen, always be closing. Ah. Thank you, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Mold cider is for winners. <laughs> that's right. But, so he's got the tousled hair that she's been running her long fingers through all night. I wish I had that thick hair. Damn it. <laughs> Yeah, Alan, on. you you know what I mean. Not at all. Uh, but she tries to take his sunglasses off because it's sunny in there, and they're fancy 
cabin that they're in. Chalet, they called it. And he slaps her hand away, which she's not real happy about. And he's forced to admit, Maddie, oh, no, he calls her Lynn at this point. I don't think he's ever done it since. There's, I think they're still trying to figure out what the hell this girl's name is at this point. But uh he flips a coin in the air and shoots it with his force beam and knocks a hole clean through the middle of it. And he says, I'm a mutant. So, and she says, oh, freaky, I like it. <laughs> so that's revelation number two to drive her away, and she's not going. Like, doesn't she, she, she's giving off the air of being desperate at this point, isn't she? No, she's giving yeah. off the air of being planted in their lives by some nefarious plotter. That's true. Do you guys, I mean, do you, how much do you buy into the whole Mr. Sinister thing? Are you, like, are you like, yep, all along, that's, no. or are you like, uh, write it down and ask Claremont. He did not have that in mind. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I'm either. pretty I sure. I think that was a retcon. But there's a, there's a way that I would have loved for this to have turned out all, all of it. But, um, I don't know if. Hit us with it, man. Yes. So yeah. going forward, you guys are going to be covering this. Going forward. So it's probably two or three shows forward. There's going to be, there's a scene where there's a big old showdown. Everybody thought that she was Dark Phoenix and they're fighting each other. And it all comes to a head, and there's this big deluge of water, and Madeline Pryor is kind of like face down in the water, and she's just getting up, and they're they're all recovering, and all the illusions are gone, and and, and everything. Mm-hmm. When Madeline Pryor got up, I would love to have had her look nothing like Jean Grey, to be oh. actually Maddie, Maddie Pryor, who has been under some kind of some kind of illusion and manipulation and them always seeing her as Jean Grey, never having looked like Jean Grey. Her thinking that when she uh-huh. saw the picture of Jean Grey, it was actually her natural face that she saw in the picture saying, wow, I look just like this woman who would have been like a brunette, maybe short hair. And when she looked at the picture, she saw her face. And when they look at her, they see Jean, but she would never actually have looked like Jean at all and just been Madeline Pryor. Wow, part of the whole part of the whole setup towards that one hundredth one hundredth issue anniversary, some uh-huh. anniversary that Paul Smith is drawing in your future. Right, that's how I would have loved to seen that play out. One month, I like it. The last episode before our holiday special. Yeah, we'll be talking about that. So remember me, remember me. <laughs> we will. Spoilers. Just kidding. Man, I wish it had played out that way. Yeah, I, I like that. I totally do. I totally do. I thought that would have been great. That she was just being used to mess with them, and she was never. She never looked like anybody's Jean Grey. So now we're on to the last issue of our tale, Uncanny X. My least favorite cover in X Men history. Really? That is awful, dude. You know, like um, I wouldn't have called it that. So we're at Uncanny X-Men number 171, written by Chris Claremont and drawn by guest penciler Walt Simonson. Who I love. But that who, who we all love. But as a child reading this, I never identified this issue as a Walt Simonson issue. I knew it looked different. I had no idea because I didn't think to look at who the artist was. Right. I just thought, this doesn't look like it normally does. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't. And Sean and I agree that this issue has some of the highest highs 
in X-Men history. And some of the lows, now I won't say the lowest lows, but um, the quality is not even in our fair, estimation. Fair, fair. That splash page, though. The opening splash Woo. page is Storm, now wearing Callisto's vest, and she's standing uh, at head level above the rest of the Morlocks, and she says, Morlocks, by right of combat, I storm, and now your leader. My word is law. Bitches! She's, she's got her arm out in front of her, Sig Heil style, Ooh, ouch. and um, she's taking control. I was thinking one them badass thighs, and I would have been like, yep, she's the boss. <laughs> There's your thickness. She is the boss. You want, you're looking for thickness, then you got your thickness right there. Yeah, look at that. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, and this to me does not look like Simonson. No. The hands and the torches below her, I see Simonson, but her figure, I do not. And I wonder if there might be some pages where he, maybe, or somebody else besides Wyacek inked it, and so that's why some pages look a little Different than what we're used to seeing from Simonson. Does it make any difference that he's that Bob Wycheck is called the finisher instead of the inker? Yeah, probably. Yeah, maybe. I don't know, but so you think there in Simonson's typical style, these are loose breakdowns, and and it's mostly drawn by Wycheck. Could be. That's possible. See, this is why you're here to point out these differences. A pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, Callisto is still pissed off that Storm is leading, and she says, one of these days, pow, right in the kisser, and Storm just owns her, picks her up like a little baby kicking and screaming, Callisto's got the look just like my kids when they don't want to go to bed, and she walks her back to Sunder and says, put this kid to bed, I'm out of here, and she's, it's awesome, she's, she's walking down this tunnel with her, her cape slung over her shoulder, and she puts the cape down to carry uh, Callisto over. But then when she goes to walk away again, she's got the cape slung over her shoulder again. And it's just a a cool attention to detail that I, I really dug about that page. Everything about that page is cool, man. The, the way the tunnel is rendered by a series of almost concentric rings that, that gives it depth. And, and then the, the cape detail and, and Nightcrawler crawling on the wall again. Um, and he finally is like, something's going on with Storm. Mm-hmm. So he's, I think, probably the first one that sees that she's really not the same person anymore. And he's wondering what's going on. Yup. But now Maddie has had a nightmare. And it is a remembrance of Sean. No surprise. Another plane crash. Yep. In typical X-Men fashion, she has a plane crash in her recent past where uh, she crashed a plane upon landing and she was the only survivor. And it just so happened to be September 1st, 1980. When Jean Grey died on the moon. Now, <clears throat> it it's 30 years, that's 30 years ago. Uh, so the X-Men are like in their 50s and... That's the danger of using a date. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but it happened. Just roll with it, everybody. It's comics. Kitty is 45. 
<laughs> all right. Now we're talking. <laughs> now you can go. Now you can do all your, all the things you want to do. Do all the things, Jerry, now. Do all the things. All those things I don't want to think about Pete Wisdom doing to her. Oh my god, stop. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, now we get to pop in and see how Carol Danvers is doing now that she's returned to Earth. She's paying a visit to her parents who are much older than I would have expected. Right. Um, but she's, she's struggling because she doesn't really have any feelings for these people. She knows they're her parents. She knows that means she should love them, but she doesn't really feel it. And she decides there's no more place for her here at home anymore. She says goodbye. She says, I'm going to be going to some places, some of them kind of hairy. And, um, and they say they'll miss her. She says she'll miss them too, even though she doesn't believe it. And she changes into binary and she flies away. And there are reasons why she doesn't really feel and and um, think she'll forget or miss them. I think there are reasons, reasons. That's right. For those who somehow missed it, um, she was attacked by Rogue in Avengers Annual number 10. And uh, Rogue held on a little too long, absorbed a little too much of her personality to the point where there was nothing of Carol left or her powers in Carol. Rogue had it all. And now Rogue is a split personality, two psyches battling for control of her body. So when she, Which will come into play very soon. Yeah, so when she was seen leaving Washington on the bus, where did she end up? We're going to find out right after Kitty has another temper tantrum because yeah. she can't find her discs. Her floppy her discs. Her floppy discs, everybody. And you know those are five and a quarter inches. Of course. And they are really floppy. Uh, but they were just under her computer. Uh, and she blamed the new mutants, but Ileana points out that she's dumb. <laughs> and she says, I'm such a jerk. No argument there, says Ileana. But this temper tantrum is playing havoc on Professor X, who's ripped Alan. Okay. Am I right? Well, he's got his European briefs on. No, he, he doesn't. Unfortunately, he does not. <laughs> he has he has his, these old boxers or some kind of baggy old boxer briefs or whatever. Please. What are they? Nut huggers. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. He's wearing the nut huggers, and uh, and and he's really struggling every time he exercises his legs. It uh it knocks his psychic powers all out of whack. So Kitty's tantrum is breaking through his psychic barrier, causing a vicious headache, and Lilandra suggests that they play doctor as an, a, a way to cope with that. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Colossus is pondering a cookbook and, go back to a couple issues earlier, a quiche recipe. Uh. What the fuck? Are they saying about Colossus who that he's not a real man? He doesn't have to prove anything to anybody. He doesn't. He's a sensitive artist. That's right. And what? Yeah, he eats quiche. What of it? Make something up. Step to him. Professor X commands that he answer the door. And in one of my favorite Walt Simonson yeah. panels ever, I love the way he draws Peter, both as Colossus and as Peter. He draws him tall. Yep muscular but uh, but fit you know lean and um that's why he can eat quiche that's right and when he throws open the door you see him facing the camera with uh rogue 
in front of him with her back to the camera, and she is absolutely dwarfed, mm-hmm. hugging herself. The body language of both of them in that panel is so goddamn perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, him with clenched fists screaming, you, and her falling backwards onto the ground saying, please don't hurt me, I just need help. At this point, she's at her wit's end. Um, she's shaking as she's brought in, uh, sweating, um, and, and she's just losing it. She's losing her mind having Carol Danvers inside of her head. Mm-hmm. And the X-Men's response basically is... Um, no. Hit the bricks. Hit the bricks, right. And Professor X is not having it. He's got the frumpy lip going, (laughs) and he asks asks him to leave. He's like, look, I want to help her. I want to try to help her and see what's going on, but I can't do it with all your negative thoughts. So why don't you guys amscray? Kitty says, of course, she wants to hit something. And they go to the danger room. And uh, Ilyana, with Kitty looking on, sets up a sequence for the X-Men to fight. And bam, they are immediately transported limbo. to Limbo with Belasco and Sim and Demonic Nightcrawler, who's still alive in their minds, looking on. Uh, he hasn't yet met his fate at this point. And you see Colossus with his chest caved in, yeah. pressed into the wall. And the skeleton of Wolverine on the floor, all thanks to Mr. Brent Anderson. Mm. Ah, I love that dude. Mm. Um, so this is Walt Simonson's version of that. And Ilyana, seeing Belasco, is shocked. Kitty's horrified, shuts the sequence off. And uh, Ilyana's face goes from passive, with her hands kind of in a praying position, to demonic with red glowing eyes and suddenly she's got this sword in her hand that she whisks across the room at kitty with her and she's got her uh, medallion flying through the air around her neck but the arc that simonson draws this this sword on is i mean i'm only i always had a problem with the the unfinished look of his art but that line that he draws for the arc of the sword is something that only Simonson, now maybe not only Simonson, but something that's a hallmark of Simonson's. Nice, like it is. It is a masterstroke. Nice, nice, wide, wide, because it goes out of the panel and comes back in the panel. And she puts everything into it, and Kitty phases out of the way, but still it grazes her cheek and draws blood. What the hell is this sword? Where did it come from? And it, you get a glimpse of the pommel. There's a skull on it. Yep. So this is the first time it's ever been shown. This is the first manifestation of it, or was it? Yes, already, this is yeah. the first manifestation okay. of her soul sword. Yep. And at this point, no armor. Right. The first time it shows up, it's just the sword. But that's going to change. Yeah. And um, this is this is like why one of the things I love about the two of them being best friends is. Uh, she she snaps out of it and she just collapses from the weight of having all of those memories come back like think she was in in limbo for 6 years 7 yeah. years whatever it was and she got all of that rushing back to her in one instant and uh she just collapses and kitty catches her the x-men come running in and kitty does what what <laughs> 
every girl in high school ever did when their friend has a meltdown in the hallway and it's completely embarrassing. She's like, guys, everything's cool. Just please leave us alone, okay? And it, like, it just, that transports me back to, to adolescence. Yeah. I like the touch that Ileana's crying and so is Kitty. Yeah. It made Kitty cry. Just, she's right there with her. I like how quickly she goes from like her life being in danger from Ileana to how quickly like that really shows the friendship of like, nope, don't care about the fact that you just came after me with a sword. Like, I'm going to hold on to you and make sure you're all right. Yeah. That gets me, man. Mm-hmm. It gets me. It touches me in that place where I get embarrassed about being on a podcast when I'm talking about it. <laughs> well, I kind of, I hope you know that I kind of see you two that way. Aww. I do. I just, I'm, I'm just telling you. Oh, Alan, you're the best. <laughs> I'm not the best, but I have my you're moments. <laughs> so here, this is another sad thing for me. The storm goes up to her room to try to take stock of everything that's happened. And something that's always been soothing to her is watering her plants with her powers, which she starts to do as she's reflecting on stuff. And suddenly she loses control of the little microstorm that she created. And it starts like lightning, lightninging her plants and blowing her plants apart and stuff. And she's completely lost control and she's distraught when Professor X pops an astral image of his head into the room and says, Hey, come down. I need to talk to you. And she grabs a knife and throws it right through his forehead. And Professor X is like, oh, I just detected something weird. Right. <laughs> he him, knows. He called him old man. Yeah, he's got the face. He's like, oh, shit. <laughs> yes, What's going on? Exactly. <laughs> Maybe I won't go up there anymore. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but they come down, and, and he says, um, I've talked with Rogue and I think the best thing to do is to admit her to the X-Men as a probationary member and Storm just immediately says no. Right. Nope, that's not going to happen. And she says I'm the leader of this team and there is no way she points at her, there is no way that woman is going to be on this team where we have to trust people with our lives. And before the argument can go any further, <laughs> Binary comes home to say her goodbyes to the X-Men or maybe to stay with the X-Men. It's not really clear at this point. I think her intention might be that this is going to be home for her now. Mm. And, and she walks in, and you pan back, and you see the school. <laughs> all, all idyllic and quiet. And then <laughs> Rogue through the roof of the building. Pow! <laughs> the big old fat red pow. <laughs> big pow. To the moon, Alice! <laughs> Literally, she gets punched to the moon. <laughs> I have wondered myself if that's, is that hyperbole in, 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 um, graphic form? It probably is. It probably is. But damn it, it, it sure does convey the, uh, the energy in that punch. Yep. Where she goes, my goodness! <laughs> I never I guess you would call that before, but never like this. Uh, but she comes back for seconds and she gets seconds and another tree on the Xavier estate pays the price. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think we've lost more trees to fights on this property than we ever lost Morlocks in the Mutant yeah. Massacre. Who is speaking for the trees? Where's the Lorax? <laughs> uh, but Binary is told what's going on. Rogue is there because she's about to become part of the X-Men. And she says, is this true? I wouldn't have thought you capable of such cruelty. Driving home the fact that not only is she a bad person, but think for a second in your tiny, bald brain what this woman took away from me. Right. And, uh, and, and Rogue is just clueless. She's like, what are you talking about? And Binary changes back to her Carol Danvers form. And we get to see some of that Tom Warzakowski lettering magic in tiny little font. Mm-hmm. He writes Carol Danvers. And, uh, and she realizes this is the woman whose life I've ruined and who is ruining my life. And here's the weird change for the rest of the X-Men, because they kind of stick up for Professor X. They say, she's on our team now. we got to have her back. And Binary just cannot believe it. Um, Fuck y'all. She said, yeah, she says, I'm glad that you guys can can take her under your wing like this, but I can't be that forgiving. I have nothing to lose here, Charles. No real ties to break, because she, she doesn't have any emotional ties to them, except for those... Since since she became binary, and she says, this makes my decision easy. I'm not an X-Men, and all of a sudden, I'm glad. And she flies off. Bye. And something that they kind of been building to, you know, Carol Danvers going through this change. Is she a mutant now? Isn't she? All that hope in building to, of Claremont taking over the writing of the character bringing her into the X-Men fold, it's all undone in this one scene. And she is gone, man. That's it. She's not... She'll never be an X-Men now. It was so close. Like, she was... She was gonna be on the team. And instead of getting Carol Danvers with the power of a white hole or whatever it was, they get Rogue, a villain, instead. Uh And the Carol Corps right now must be furious. I don't know. I'm leaving alone the fact that you said power of the white hole. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they we said. Did, I, I know. That's what they said. But uh, Storm is left to kind of reflect on what her own deal is. And, um, and, uh, and that's the end of the issue. That's the end of the arc. Um, when we come back to the Uncanny X-Men, we will see Wolverine... At his happiest and his saddest in the yep. same issue. But before we get there, there are a couple other things we want to talk about. Before we get to that, I want to talk quickly, very quickly. For those of you who wondered, like me, what happened to Binary after this? Like, I always wondered where the hell she went to end up eventually with the Star Jammers, which she does. And it's because I never read Marvel Fanfare number 24, where there is a um, Cockrum and Wyacek and Claremont told um, story at the end where she shows up at Avengers Mansion with Wolverine to play in their regular poker game. She shows up for the first time. She'd never been there before. They crash the party. Um, and Wolverine shows that he is old-time friends with Nick Fury. So you get the first little bit of that relationship. 
and everybody's like, oh, you're Carol Danvers. We heard about what happened to you. We're really sorry. And then to make things more awkward, mm-hmm. um, Bla- Monica Rambeau shows up and says, hi, nice to meet you. I'm Captain Marvel. And Carol says, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Is my best friend, and he's off doing something right now. And the everybody loses the color in their face, and they're like, "What do you you mean you don't know?" And she's like, "No, what?" And they're like, "Carol, Captain Marvel died in Marvel graphic novel number one. She didn't know because she was off in space. She's horrified, and that's it, man. That is the last fucking straw for Carol Danvers." Her last connection to the planet Earth. Um, and she's like, that's it. I'm out. I can't, I can't be here anymore. And Logan tries to talk her out of it and he kind of reveals a little bit more of that intimate relationship that the two of them had. And you kind of get the feeling that he still wants to have it. That's because Wolverine is horny all the time. Right. So, but you get them, you get the idea that this must have happened. Before they leave, before he leaves for Japan. But it's also after she visits the X Mansion here in 171. So it's somewhere in that stretch of time while Logan's gone. But she, she, uh, she's, he says that he loves her, I think, or something to that effect. And, and she thinks to herself, I wish I felt the same way, but I just don't feel anything for anyone anymore. And she flies off to join the Star Jammers. And she still doesn't feel much about much for anyone anymore because Rogue has all those feelings and memories. That's right. That's right. She does, and and she's going to be forced to cope with that in the next couple story arcs. And it will eventually lead to Storm's demise. But the, you're not going to be able to skip the fact that another part of her development. Is gonna be the Mohawk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can't wait. One more month, we'll get there, guys. Hang on. We're almost there. Right on. But the last, we will leave you with one final story that we will not spend much time on. I don't know how you felt about this book, Alan, but Sean and I didn't really care for it. And it's the second appearance of Dracula in an X-Men book. This is Uncanny X-Men Annual. Number six from 1982. Well, the Bill Sienkiewicz dude, Bill Sienkiewicz with his dynamism and those, man, the early Sienkiewicz, mind you, but, mm-hmm. and reined in a little bit by probably his editors and inker. Let me see if, who? This is inked by Wyacek, I yeah. think. So, he's, he's, Tame, but you get a lot of you get a lot of the Sinkevich in the body poses, uh-huh. and in some of the the light dark ink work on faces. Right, get some good Sinkevich there. My impression of this book is um, that for being an annual, which to this point every annual they've had has had exceptional art. Um, I thought that his work on the first Daredevil, the first Dracula story in 159 was much stronger than this. So yeah. Do we think, what do you think about then the, the effect of the anchor on some of this work? 
Like, well, I guess what I need to find out really quickly is who inked that 159. If Wyacek inked that, then I don't know. Maybe it's that there's more pages in this book, so the deadline was tighter. I don't know, but um, overall, I just I felt like this is the weakest issue we've seen in a while in an X-Men book. But, I mean, I don't want to shit on it and say it's bad, but... Um, it's not our cup of tea. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. But he's, he's still young at this point, though. <clears throat> I think I mean, with everything else going around it, too, it's just... I don't. I never liked the um, Dracula aspect in the comics, at least in the X Men. You know, I mean, I didn't mind the what was it, one fifty nine. That was a pretty good yeah. issue, but like, I'm unfortunately filtering reading this again through the uh, two thousand nine, two thousand ten X Men relaunch with Victor Gishler writing it, where they turned yeah. Jubilee into a vampire, and I just mm-hmm. just. Twilight angle of it just kind of yeah killed it. And so she still unfortunately, is. this yeah, this just kind of being tossed into the middle of the annual during the Paul Smith run. It just doesn't. Here's what's missing for me and you, though, Sean. As much as I like to say that I'm a Bronze Age nut and I really dug everything from the '70s, Tomb of Dracula yeah is a complete hole in my knowledge. Yeah, of, oh. of, 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 I've I've read. I read the final issue in preparation for this because in the final issue of Tomb of Dracula, which is, if you can believe, a, a Dracula book lasted seventy issues. That's nice. <laughs> and uh, and it had Gene Colan through the entire freaking thing, man. It was a beautiful book. And Gene uh, but, Gene Colan was good with the black and the ink work and the sh- heavy use of shadows. I think that Sienkiewicz is a makes sense as somebody to to draw that mm-hmm. in the eighties. But, um, so the book opens with, uh, uh, Rachel Van Helsing, who is a teacher at a small liberal arts college somewhere. Um, but it also turns out if you've read Tomb of Dracula, she was one of the primary vampire hunters that was tasked with trying to take Dracula out for those 70 issues. And in the end, in issue 70, about five years before this, I think, maybe a little less, they finally succeed. They kill Dracula. And they think they have him aced, but the ending of that story is very similar to the ending of this story. Very similar to the ending of this story. So I'll just leave it at that for now. But as far as Rachel Van Helsing is concerned, Dracula is no longer of this earth. And we know that's not true because of his appearance in Uncanny 159. But he shows up on her doorstep and takes her out right away. So sad, though. And, I mean, for us, that doesn't have any emotional meaning. But for fans of Tomb of Dracula, who read that book for probably five or six years, um, that would have some serious significance. But we will be seeing her again. In this story or later after the story? In in this story. I don't don't think we see her again after this. Right, so. Not to spoil it. That's what makes it sad. That's what makes it, that he shows up and he snatches her out of, uh, of the, of the page sequences. She's just, her fate, what is it? And then when she shows back up again, it's, the deed is done. It's like the last time we see her vital and human is right there in those pages. Uh-huh. That's sad. Those, two, those first two pages, because after that, just to spell it out, she's turned 
into a vampire by Dracula because he needs her assistance with a task in this in this annual. Um, then some funky stuff is going on in the X mansion, and Kitty has another temper tantrum. Yeah. Storms off to her room. She has a temper tantrum because her parents are getting divorced. That's a, we should, that's kind of we should not minimize Yeah, that's legit. If you haven't read this annual before, this is where she finds out that her parents are splitting, which is an event that leads to the Kitty Pride and Wolverine miniseries and a lot of emotional angst for Kitty in some of the X-Books later on. Yep. But, um, so she storms off to her room, falls asleep, and as she is drifting off into sleep, you see a weird shadow of a figure of a woman go across the wall. And then, and then she, when she wakes up hours later, she's greeted by Storm, who now looks like the vampire Storm from Uncanny 159, who bites her, who bites Kitty in the neck, ragdolls her, <laughs> and then does the same thing to every other member of the X-Men. When she leaves Kitty's room, though, that panel really bummed me out because it's like a, the majority of that panel is black. And you can see Kitty's like slumped on the floor, and even her um, like the stuffed animals and toys in her room have sad faces. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. And ju- driving home again, she's just a kid. Yeah, you know, um, she's still got. And this is why I don't think maybe she's ready to be on the X Men. Man, this isn't happening to the New Mutants. They're in the safe part of the building, right? But she is clearly dead on the floor. Uh, Storm has just killed her entire team. And as a child reader, we, we're not the, you're not the jaded adult that, that I am now reading this. Like, you're shit in your pants <laughs> reading. This right. Because you think that this just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but she jumps out of a window to kill herself. And, uh, Dracula snatches her out of the air. And that, that does happen, right? I have that no. in the right sequence. No, 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 no. no. She turns into a vampire, and flies, flies to Dracula. Yeah. Then she's forced to relive the death of her parents and she realizes, okay, none of this is real. Kitty waking up was in my dream. The whole thing has been a dream so far. This is weird as hell. Yeah, the, the thing that I don't understand is that Kitty had thoughts when she woke up from her temper yes. tantrum, had a whole yeah. process of thoughts, and then Storm the Vampire came in and killed her. Right. So whose thoughts were those because this Weird. is storm's yeah. dream right the storm left kitty dead and killed colossus with his eyes open and yep. all them and then then she turns to a vampire she flies away she meets dracula she says hello i'm yours they make out and then she wakes up and says no no so whose thoughts were kitties storms they had to be storms so storm was thinking of Kitty's process in handling her own grief about her parents. At this point, I think that's right, because the other possibility wouldn't be having those thoughts, I think. Okay. But then she goes to, then she goes to Dracula's castle and says, look, motherfucker, you're messing with me and I'm going to kick your ass. But he's not having that. Come on now. He's Dracula. Yeah, and he says, I have a task for you. And he sends Storm to retrieve the Darkholm, which, for those of you unfamiliar, was a popular subject of 90, late 90s comic books in Marvel. 
it contains the Montessi formula, which is a spell that can destroy all of the vampires. Is it just vampires? Or is it like all mystical creatures? I think it's just the vampires. Yeah. I'm not really sure. I'm not reading many 90 comics. I'm not really sure. But Steve Raker and I, in my first podcast nice. uh, appearance ever, Marvel Noise, number 199, dating to... Just when Sean and I were sitting down to talk about doing our own show, mm. uh, we talked about this, these cool little backup stories in volume three of Doctor Strange. It was number nine through 15 that tells the history of the Dark Home. So if you have those issues, you should check those out if you, if you are dying to find out what the deal with this book is. And if you don't own them, they're probably in the quarter boxes somewhere. Um, and if you don't care, that's fine. Basically, it's just a spell book. That is like the most evil book on the planet. And she sent in to steal it because, uh, it is, the place is warded against vampires. So Dracula and his servant, Rachel Van Helsing, who is now also a vampire, can't go in there to get it. So Storm goes in to get it and she's shot in the back with a crossbow by Kitty Pride, who tries to kill her. Who's got, and sna- snatches up the book and gets away. Who's got Peter and as Colossus in her thrall. That's right. Obeying her every command. And it, things just don't seem right. But um, Storm does not come back with the book. And uh, of course Dracula is not very happy about that. Right. Um, that's when she tries to jump out of the window to get away from. That's right. Yep. That's right. She wakes up in a coffin at one point. Having relived her, oh, that's right, Dracula heals her and puts her in a coffin to heal her from the crossbow bolt. And that's when she has the dream about her, that she's in Cairo again, but she's an adult, yeah. but her parents are there and she relives exactly what happens the day that her parents died in that plane crash that dropped the building on all of them. Mm-hmm. And the worst thing she can, that can happen to her, she wakes up in a coffin, freaks out. And he even and Dracula's like, "Oh, I forgot about yeah, your claustrophobia." Yeah, he tries to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> like, "Oops, my bad." These two have a really weird relationship. Even though I, I bit you and made you kind of under my thrall, and I have you here against your will, and I'm making you steal a book from me, I put you in a coffin. That I'm sorry about. That part I'm sorry. For that, he is sorry. I mean, he's got a job to do, but he doesn't want it to be unnecessarily unpleasant. He's a reasonable guy. Mm-hmm. Would you? I mean, no. I I think <laughs> is he yes. Have you read any Tomb of Dracula? He's the he's the noble villain. With he, a, he's with like a, an anti-hero, isn't he? Is and he? all this stuff. But he's a murderer. He killed Rachel Van Helsing here. He turned her into a yeah. vampire. I don't have a lot of pity for him. Right. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> I like that Alan's all black and white. I have I have many shades of gray. But when it comes to, when it comes to these, these, some of these villains that wind up getting front page spreads and, and followings and people are mad the way they're cast in movies or whatnot, I'm like, they're a villain! Right? Get my, get the heroes right. I'm not that concerned about the villains. (laughs) I'll bet I know who you're talking about. You've got to be a little bit concerned about blogging Dr. Doom, right? Well, yeah, but it was already a wrap. For me, when they first announced the first casting, so true. Yeah, it's like okay. I do like the sequence where uh, the the X Men finally bust in, and uh, Dracula grabs a spear 
and flings it at uh, Cyclops' chest, and Nightcrawler teleports, grabs the thing, and then teleports back in front of Dracula, so the momentum drives it through Dracula. That is cool. Yeah, they uh, they kind of step up their efforts against Dracula. I, because he's undead, I don't know, but they don't seem to have the same moral problems no. with him that they do normally. But uh, you'll notice that Wolverine's in this story, so this actually took place before all the other stories that we yeah. talked about today. And he's wearing the brown costume, too. He's wearing the brown costume. Uh, wait, is Rogue in it? No. No. No, okay. For a second there, I thought I remembered that she was in it. But, um, so they have a, a knockdown drag out with, with Dracula, and they eventually win, and they slay him with the assistance of Rachel Van Helsing, who, because of all the commotion, is able to snap his control of her. And, uh, she kills his ass. Kills him dead. And the last thing they need to do to make sure he never returns is um, decapitate him. But before Wolverine can do that, the castle begins collapsing and they have to run away. And the whole castle falls into the sea. So is this the end of Dracula? Who knows? <laughs> but we're left with poor Rachel Van Helsing. Mm-hmm who's now a vampire, and she says, you have to kill me. This is the worst thing that could have happened to me. So Wolverine promises that he'll do it, and he says, come close. And he stakes her heart, and he hugs her to him. Oh, man. And she dies on his shoulder looking at the sunset. As the sun rises, rises. right? Oh, rises, yeah. And she, she turns to a skeleton just the same way that Dracula did. And Wolverine says, okay, I have to behead her. It's probably best if the rest of you take a walk while I do this. And Storm says, I'll help. Because she's cruel now. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. and that's when Kitty Pride is revealed to actually be possessed by Dracula's daughter, Lilith. And that's why she was going at Dracula too and going into the thing and taking over Colossus. Yeah. She just so I don't know, man. I kind of wish we had started with that one because it's such a downer, and it really is a bummer of a book. I'm sorry. But, Alan, mm. I loved rereading these stories, knowing that I was going to talk to you about them and Sean about them. Yes. That's not the downer part. That's the good part. That's right. And I apologize to everyone that this episode is three hours long, but I hope that it was enjoyable for you guys because this is, I mean, this is as much fun as I can have recording an episode of this show. Never not good. Never not good. But this one was particularly good. Good time. So I guess we should wrap. It's a wrap for now. Alan, pimp your stuff. Go to www.thepowerprinciple.co. Do it. What will they see there? They'll see, they'll see the Power Principle being distributed in webcomic format, uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, page by page. And, yes. uh, yeah. and on Tuesday and Thursday, you get the classic pages from mm. the original 1990 comic that I published out there back then. Haha. <laughs> yes! Yep. Do it. It is good for you. Yes, and then, then you could find links to where I'm at as New Mutant on Twitter and the Power Principle on Facebook and notes and blog things and such and stuff. That's right. Do it. 
Yeah, and and give me feedback. Uh, you see, as you're going through the pages, you can. There's places to put comments, questions, anything you got. And if you don't want to wait for the entire story to to unfold because it's eight issues worth and I, it's not even halfway through the first issue yet, you can just order it on, at the PayPal buttons on the side on the on the right hand side. Nice. You can order the whole thing, all eight issues in one um, collected format. All right. Yeah. Meanwhile, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Tumblr. On iTunes, soon to be on Stitcher. Get on hopefully. Stitcher, man! Get on Stitcher. Stitcher is the bomb. Hey, man! We are waiting to hear from them. Feel free to leave a uh, iTunes review. Yeah, I mean, what what do we have to do at this point? Beg? I will beg. <laughs> Please leave us an iTunes review. Please, it will be very helpful to us. It would be. We'd appreciate it. It doesn't even have to be nice, but it helps. Yeah. If not, even even if you just leave a star rating, you don't have to write any words. Yeah. But unless you want to write that I'm better than Sean, that's cool. That's cool. You can do that. I'm fine with it. I guess that's the ship it. wouldn't fucking float if it wasn't for Jerry the Handlebar McDade. And and you might have heard ship, but he really said shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I guess we have to say goodbye now, you guys. Go ahead and do it. Goodbye, nice. Alan. No, I don't want to go. Okay. Well, you don't really have to go, but we're going to... No, I got to pee, gonna... actually. Yeah. I got to ah. pee again. Me too. All right. <laughs> All right, go buddy. On, go out there and uh, uh, make sure that you... Uh, let me pull it up here real quick. You uh, jam out to some Steel Ice Span today. Yeah. Uh, listen to the beautiful voice of Madeline Pryor. It's so true. It's very real. Relive your fantastic moment of, of being in studio work with Chris Claremont. And Jim Freund on our, awesome. on Hour of the Wolf, which is still going strong on WBAI now. I'll, I'll bet they have a podcast, Sean. We should yeah, check that we should out. check it out. You know what? They don't. Ain't that ridiculous? Oh, they're just they had, they're just on the radio. Yeah, they're just on the radio. They don't oh, have a Twitter or anything. Oh, you elitist New York motherfucker. Ain't that a damn shame? But they used to have the archives on on air, and now the archives are not being replenished. Uh, so that's a problem. Uh, you could you could listen to trip. it. But it's not there. Damn it. All right. Well, now I'm mad and I want to go. Okay. Ah. People, thank you for tuning in again. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.
do 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 What's up, Muty? Hey. <laughs> hey, you don't call me that. Hey. <laughs> How you doing, man? Gee, Stevie, I don't know. What if he called you a... <laughs> a cracker? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I actually read I read an article. Uh, somebody posted to an article. Now, you have to tell me if this is true because you guys are two white males. So you have to tell me if this is true. They believe that possibly the racial slur for white people is douchebag. Huh. I've never heard that. Um, it well for me growing up in Detroit as a youth. A youth. Now, it, it was always honky. Yeah, it was always honky. But that that article takes down a lot of those words that have been used: cracker, honky, all that stuff, and kind of dissects those and uh-huh. maybe shows them up for being kind of weak. But then, uh, <laughs> but then they went to they went into the. The, somebody just piped up with what about douchebag <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then the professor was like hmm who was a white male um yeah that kind of bothers me <laughs> maybe maybe that's it <laughs> so I don't know alright well I'll remember to be offended from now on <laughs> yeah. somebody calls me a douchebag now have you ever honestly been offended when someone's called you a honky I think it's stupid and ridiculous, and okay. I laugh at it. That's exactly the, that was the exact point that was made. That was the exact point. Like, yeah, you could call me all those things, but it doesn't bother me. They're stupid. They sound dumb. And then somebody yeah. said, well, what about douchebag? It's a weird <laughs> spot to be in, because I guess I don't think about it. But when I really do think about like what I could be called, like, I don't think there's anything. Yeah. Cracker hurts a little more. Really? Because... um well, I, I never as a kid understood the origin I, I just, of it. Well, I mean, maybe it, I don't even it, like, know. It sounds origin. stupid, but, uh, I mean, apparently it's short for whipcracker, and that's... Oh, oh shit! That, I never knew that! <laughs> I didn't know that either. <laughs> so that hurts a little bit. <laughs> well, except that it still shows that there's a superiority going on there. If you're, if <laughs> yeah. you're cracking the whip, then you're in the, and you're in control. That's not an insult. Uh, I'm like, did you okay. just call me Indiana Jones in a roundabout way? Yeah. Thank you. I'm, think, I'm thinking, unless you're Indiana Jones, that's probably not, you don't want to be a whipcracker. This episode has been brought to you by Cry for the Moon Productions.